Hey, hey, everybody. How about it? It is season eight, and oh man, we're fired up. We're so ready to talk about awesome episode one and the rest of the season, and it's so cool to be here with all you guys because we have so much fun chatting and just geeking out over this amazing fandom. And yeah, we're here. We're ready to go. We've got a ton of notes. Let me uh, say a few things before we get into the meat of it as the beginning of the season is uh, comes with a few announcements. We don't have a new uh, intro to match their awesome intro, but we do have some new gear. Uh, big shout out to Ashea for spending a lot of this past weekend getting us ready for that. Yay! <laughs> new microphones, new webcam, and uh, it's hard to introduce a whole bunch of gear at once, but she put in a lot of work on that. So Next week we'll get new brains. Yeah, next week new brains, which we very much need. <laughs> Of course, welcome back, Sean. Uh, if if y'all didn't catch the any of our pre-show uh, episodes, well, this is your first time seeing Sean in a while. So, hey, welcome back. Hey, hey, hey. It's great to be back. Quick uh, two-minute, uh, or let's say one-minute, quick one-minute uh, recap of, of what you thought about last night. Actually, you- no. Let me not ask you that. Let me ask you about the hour before the show. How did you feel the hour before it started, like that anticipation? Um, that's, I was doing tw- twiddling my thumbs, you know? Uh, <laughs> I think you were eating desserts, Sean. I think I was. I think I was eating Oreo cookies, <laughs> Game of Thrones Oreo cookies. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely fired up. It was, uh, especially the, the process of like rewatching all the seasons leading up to it and even the podcast that we did the day prior. I, I almost felt like I had already watched the first episode. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I was so immersed in everything. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's slightly surreal. I, I even wonder speculating if that extra year in between, I'm sure it was like as showrunners from like a marketing standpoint, scheduling of HBO and everyone taking a year off is kind of risky. You might, people might drop off, but I think that it's gone around. You know what I mean? I, I think they probably picked people up. It gave people time to, to catch up, but anyone who's been holding off, they had a yeah. whole extra year to catch up. I know multiple people who did that themselves. Anyway, I- I'm curious what numbers are. If there are numbers out there as far as uh, that's stats a good question. Yeah. but um, we're we're gonna have as we all often do. We're gonna take do a lot of what we can in this first episode, and this will always be 7 p.m. Eastern on Mondays. And anything we miss, and any book stuff, or anything that takes more than 24 hours analysis, we'll either cover on the Saturday preview for the next episode which will always be two o'clock eastern on saturdays or on the book to show episodes which will be every wednesday also at seven and we're gonna have lady gwen and ashea and guests um sometimes i like to call dibs on topics that's right (laughs) so as you can see uh as part of our um new setup ashea has a microphone for herself and sean and i each have our own microphones as well so when ashea wants to say something from off camera we can actually hear her that's (laughs) that's pretty nice a uh, couple of super chats from Timothy Galvin. How's beard in the house? Yes, indeed. And you're the first super chatter of the official beginning of the season. So good job, Timothy Galvin. <laughs> and the Merchant Prince also says, wishing y'all all the best with your coverage this season. What is hype may never die. Oh, and Ashea is the best. Lots of things to agree with there. <laughs> okay, so a couple of quick shout outs. I want to shout out Watchers on the Wall for their Game of Thrones coverage in the off season. They, of course, did amazing job covering stuff going on set and casting news and during the season they do fantastic coverage as well and we'll be looking forward to their coverage in the long term when the age of heroes show begins whatever that's going to be called and of course another reminder that you can catch us at ice and fire con and con of thrones and that you can get five dollars off either ticket purchase to either con with the code history and speaking of game of thrones season 
Another reminder that we get to watch episode three at Ice and FireCon. That's going to be a blast. It is really fun. So awesome. I know a lot of you guys had watch parties, and we had a watch party about ten or twelve people here. And well, I thought it was going to be a wash party, (laughs) but we didn't clean anything. (laughs) Yeah, in fact, more things got dirty, really. (laughs) But uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I I highly recommend making it to uh, both conventions if you can, but only one if that's uh, more doable for you. So one thing we're going to do in the Wednesday review is talk in more depth about the new intro. Uh, the new intro was awesome, but we want to take some time and get some photos and shots. And that's one of the sh- uh, t- uh, topics that Ashea is calling dibs on, too. So <laughs> so we'll make sure uh, to, to give that full coverage on Wednesday. But for now, we're just going to say, whoa, that was really cool, huh? <laughs> Big surprise, right? I did not. We were all like... We were excited for small differences, maybe uh, the wall having a difference in it, you know, but we did not expect any of that. Like an overhaul. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really amazing because of how good the intro is. This is one of the best show intros of all time, and they have managed to improve on it. (laughs) I also think um, it might help, or they might even be starting to realize something I've pointed out in the past, is that this show, as it becomes more and more part of culture, it's going to have iconic imagery that goes along with it, right? Like, even if you haven't seen Star Wars, everyone would just recognize the silhouette of R2-D2 or Darth Vader. Or the, Very you know, true. I, I think the map of Westeros, I think maybe the, the helmet of uh, the Hound or the Mountain, the Iron Throne itself. I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of iconic imagery that's associated with Game of Thrones for a generation from now. And they included some of that in the intro, too. Exactly. That's I think that'll okay. either is as a result of, like they are realizing these are icons that they need to, to yeah. represent, or uh, because of that, it will cause them to be more so. Like, I recognize I might have a little bit of a skewed perspective of what's going on in the whole of culture from Game of Thrones because I'm so deep in it, but I still feel like I'm not totally... Some amount of objectiveness I can have to realize <laughs> yeah. this really is popular and famous. So definitely, and yeah. So and I think you make a good point there too that they tried to maybe include some of those things in the intro, the throne and the dragon skull and some other things like that. But mostly they focused on the major locations, which is what we will do here as well. Um, okay, so one last starting point here before we get into the material, we're going to do things a little bit different with our patron announcements during the season. It's necessitated by the longer episodes. We have so much to cover. Of course, this first episode wasn't longer, but episode three is going to be the longest episode ever. And episodes four, five, and six are going to be really long as well. So with extra stuff to cover, we want to try to save a little time. So we're going to break the Patreon announcements up into between split between Monday and Wednesday. The majority of them will be on Wednesday, but the the ones that are related to the beard guard and, and show only coverage will be on this one. So that will save us a little bit of time. And we'll have uh, we'll we'll make that up with extra coverage. So, speaking of uh, recurring themes and iconic uh, stuff, Sean, um, your drink it looks really strange, even uh, for your drinks. This is it's, it's like lavender. Yeah, it's one I've had before or similar. I might not get the ratios perfect every time, but it's the the protein berry naked drink mixed with the blue. Mountain Dew Voltage. <laughs> and man, it's good. Uh, I, I doubt <laughs> and, it. <laughs> and relatively healthy. Okay. <laughs> all the sugar and caffeine of Mountain Dew, but all the protein and nutrients of a naked drink. <laughs> right on. Okay, cool. Well, I have my usual Valerian Steel Purple Coffee thermos, and uh, no ver- no variety there at all. Just, just excellence. All right. We have a couple more Super Chats. Thomas Pappas says, hated the Braun plot line, but after thinking about it more, this could be the physical embodiment of the sellsword riddle virus poses to Tyrion in season one. Hey, that's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about it that way. I um, think there's a few things about it I dislike. 
but I actually think it makes sense for Cersei to do something like this. Um, we'll get more into that in the general flow of the episode where we have that in our notes. But that's a really good take. Um, I'll have to think about that sellsword riddle more. I didn't think about that. I haven't seen that written anywhere elsewhere. So that bears further examination. I uh, don't know if it will perfectly apply to Braun. Like, I think Braun might not be just a sellsword at this point. But I definitely agree it's a good... Uh, a good catch, a good thought to consider. Yeah, it's probably not a perfect one-to-one, but it seems seems like it's uh, very relevant and uh, a good comparison. Certainly we'll talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll come back to that. Rebecca Bellick, happy to have the band back together. I want to hear everyone's good, bad, and the ugly for this episode. Yeah, we'll certainly be doing that. Well, we have our favorites and our least favorites and um, all the stuff in between. Uh, it's it's kind of cool that the episode is called Winterfell. Most of the scenes in the episode are at Winterfell, but there's plenty of others elsewhere. Although, to be fair, even the ones that aren't at Winterfell, several of them involve Winterfell. (laughs) They're directly related. I almost made a spreadsheet before the episode just to talk about all the possible character convergences. Be like, well, what does this character have to do with this character? And see if they have anything to talk about. Because there's so many meetings and joinings and reunions. I was almost like, yeah, but I I didn't do that because I I didn't. I will say Aziz. Remember, as handsome as Sean is, don't look at him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We have to get used to our new gear. I'm not supposed to look at Sean because then I'm not looking at my mic anymore. Look at me when you're not talking. Yeah, okay. Well, we can practice I'll, real quick. Can I'll we practice? Now I'll talk right now and you look at me. <laughs> now you talk. <laughs> We're going to need more practice. So there's also lots of, head, lots of, um, oh, sorry, that's not where I was at. You were so, talking about the spreadsheet, <clears throat> the spreadsheet thing. The you realized you needed to start that three weeks ago. Yeah, to, to finish <laughs> that in time. But we got an email. Uh, a couple of people mentioned this, but the first one was from a listener named, who goes by Lady Elena Royce. And she pointed out that one of the convergences that didn't happen, but still could, is Mormont versus Mormont. We didn't have Liana talk to Jorah. And, Liana's not exactly the type to just, eh, I won't say that. <laughs> you yeah. know, she's going to speak her mind. Could and should. I yeah. Think. I, I hadn't thought of this. I feel silly that I hadn't thought of this. And I, my guess is that it will be part of Liana coming to terms with the real threat. You know, she'll, she'll be more okay accepting Danny as queen and more okay accepting Jorah back to the Seven Kingdoms when she sees the dead. That's what I think. Okay. Expect, you know? All right. Yeah. And I also wanted to say there's lots of overhead shots of Winterfell, which added to the title, not just in the intro, which had new shots of it, but several different shots with the dragons, not only when the dragons were flying by themselves, but when Danny and John were flying them. And that reveals how flat it is around Winterfell, which I think is going to be pretty relevant to the upcoming battle or battles, which is just a little tidbit. Nothing really to discuss there, but I imagine it makes it easier to film if nothing else. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, right. the hills and cat, the, the Cliff tops at Castle Rock and, <laughs> and High Garden. All the other castles pretty much are up on these high elevation spots. Another super chat from Nose Kills who says Jamie is a Kingslayer, Tyrion is a Kinslayer, Epidermis is a Skinlayer. <laughs> Poetic, but I don't know what to make of it. Have a great stream. We don't have to make any of it. Wordplay is its own reward. So <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, that's good. <laughs> and wordplay play as well on our show. We will, uh, we'll pause everything to, to drop a good pun. So yeah, the episode being called Winterfell, it's really fun. One of the things I really, really loved about this episode was it was just chock full of callbacks to season one, episode one, and a few other callbacks, but really to the first, first episode. And that was really fun, just seeing all that. And that's the kind of thing you can 
you can play with when you have a show that's gone on for a long time. You can't do that in season two of a show. I'd like, look at look how young we were in season one. <laughs> <laughs> Only shows that are successful and long running can do that. If they matched up the shows to the books, then they could see how old people got <laughs> since then. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, so talk about this first moment with this little boy who is like kind of Arya and Bran at the same time. Tell me what you thought of that. Uh, yeah, I thought it was neat. It was like maybe the first, like, oh, this is just like, you know, <laughs> the, the first obvious recall to how things were going. And I was scared for a, a moment. I was scared for that little boy. He doesn't realize Jamie's on his way. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty true. I love how he had this almost the exact same music from that same opening scene, which I don't think they ever used again. Uh, and it was only a slight variation on it, so that's really cool. And you get some some familiar uh, repeats. Arya, of course, being the one that's kind of the the one watching, doing a lot of the watching. She's kind of our POV for the for the crowd in the in the first episode. And in this episode, she pretty much is again. She sees the Hound again, and Tyrion's also in that procession. So we don't see her see him. Um, she's almost certainly aware he's there, but I don't know that Arya has a whole lot of thoughts on Tyrion versus so many other characters. So are are we getting into it now? Let's get into it. Okay. Yeah, we're getting into it. So here's here's the thought that I I, I had this thought and tweeted it last night, and I've okay. been like thinking about it since, wanting to follow up. It was so fun to have these characters paraded in front of Arya and her different reactions. It was so good to see her react to the Hound and to Gendry. Right? I want to see more. I wish we could have seen <laughs> twenty more characters. I want to I want to think about like how Arya would have responded to. You know, it doesn't make sense maybe for some characters to be there, but if Cersei had walked by and Lin Payne, uh, I don't know, the Night King, uh, <laughs> just, we need to have her respond to each character of the show, what, yeah. what her facial expression would have been for them all. I wonder, yeah, I loved, yeah, like her looking at the Hound was kind of funny, and then John, she kind of wants to speak up, but then she realizes it's a little, maybe not the, maybe I'll wait and talk to him later. She kind of like a little awkward look on her face. And then she sees Gendry, and she's just like smoldering. She's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you've, speaking of growing up. <laughs> and by the way, speaking of, okay, I don't know if we're going to like try to do them all at once or just talk about them as they come, but all the parallels to the first episode. Yeah, they're just going to keep rolling off. We'll, we'll, we'll go as they go, as we, they come. There yeah. was this sort of, budding stark quote-unquote baratheon romance when Arya's eyeing joffrey as he comes through now That's we have true. this stark baratheon Good romance point. as gendry's coming through and Arya's eyeing him then we have the same line where's Arya?" which is both times it's directed at sansa in the opening season one episode one episode she's like i don't know this time she says oh lurking somewhere which is great. You know, it's just, it just shows how Sansa knows her sister better than she did when she was 12, when they were just kind of opposites and, and didn't have a lot in common. Now they not, value each other a lot more. Not yeah, Not just knows her better, accepts her more. Yes. Not like, oh, that silly girl, she should be here. Like, oh, she's looking somewhere. She's doing yeah, her own thing. Cool, yeah. Arya, like, whatever, you know. We'll get into this more later, but it's clear that the, the enmity of last season is not only gone, but fully reversed, it seems like. And there's an, also we have the same line. Winterfell is yours, Your Grace. Ned says that to Robert, and Sansa, you know, after a brief delay, says it to <laughs> Danny. And then, then is when we're reminded that this isn't just nostalgia. When Bran goes, "We don't have time for this," <laughs> I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, it's ironic he's the right. things that they do or don't have time for, though. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> they have time to fly off and hang out at some waterfalls, but they can't have reunions. <laughs> 
So yes, let's take a look at the way they're arrayed for Danny and John's arrival and compare it to the way they were arrayed for the King and Queen's arrival in season one, episode one. People are even standing in similar positions as they were there. You have uh, Roderick standing in a pretty similar place to Bronzion Royce, and they're kind of similar kind of dudes, older, distinguished warriors uh, of a past generation. And Maester Wolken is similarly situated to Maester Lewin. It's really, really fun and intentional. And uh, yeah, it gives... It's it, it's nostalgia for and it's a great, great way to kick off the final season because it reminds us of everything we've been through. So let's talk about this council, though. This is when things start to get a little heated. The reunion uh, brands sort of we don't have time for this is almost a segue to the next scene where there's arguments and some difficulties. Uh, Sansa and Lyanna and others are unhappy, as predicted. Um, and it's, it's reasonable for them to be unhappy. I think Lyanna said it really well. It's like we named you king in the north. You can't say that's not important. Our will, you know, we're the lords of the north. We're the north. We said that, you know, that matters. Um, so they're not, they're not too happy with John. What did you, what did you think of that? Well, for one thing, I think that exact same mistake that John has been making, he continues to make. He needs to have a conversation with Sansa before this public forum. He just needs like her, Sansa <laughs> yeah. had, even if it is, I don't know, it's emotional on some level or, 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 short-sighted, subversive, I don't know what word you might want to use or what group of words you might want to use, but it is also correct. She is also right. They do have to account for the food for these armies. That's a big, and I I wish I could remember who it was, but someone pointed this out, that the real advantage that the Night King has, in my opinion, of his army, it's not like magic or or the the zombies or they can't be killed out of they don't have to feed them. They don't have to feed these armies. They could yeah. just march all day and all night, also with seven kingdoms, and not have to feed the soldiers. Which, you know, maybe you could also include in that morale. That's a factor. How well fed the soldiers are is a factor. How well paid, how they well taken sick. care of they their families are at yeah. home, you know. And these are things that John and Sansa and Danny do have to account for. They do have to account for. Even if you could just assume that no matter what, that all the soldiers will be blindly loyal, no matter how cold it is, how tired they are, whatever, how hungry they are. The fact is, even if you had that, which you don't, even if you did have that, when they get hungry, they still don't fight as well. Mm. When the people of the land don't have food, what does it matter if the armies are fighting for them, if everyone's just starving? You know what I mean? It's And it's something that's just like... Not even mentioned by anyone except Sansa. What might yeah, be yeah. the most, maybe we'll say the second most important thing, right? Uh, constantly has pointed out how it's way more important to worry about beating the Night King than it is who sits on the Iron Throne or who's the King or Queen of Winterfell, da, da, da. That's true. But guess what's also more important than who sits on the throne, who's the King or Queen of Winterfell, is whether or not the people are fed. That's also more important. Yes, yes. And Sansa seems to be the only person who really understands this. And yeah, it's making, it kind of makes her into the, it's, it's, it makes her into the person that's taking things seriously when other people should be taking them just as seriously. And that makes her sometimes seen as, I don't know, it, it puts the wrong view of her. You know, she's, she's being responsible. And sometimes yeah. people to see that as she's being argumentative, which I think is kind of silly because she's raising really, really good points. And it's clear that she is, thinking about important things that other people are not thinking about. And if they had just had a meeting beforehand, Sansa could have 
air this concern. Yeah. Then John could address this concern to everyone, and Sansa doesn't have to challenge him. John has to re- gets to realize it is a problem. In fact, probably before they even showed up, they should have been sending ravens. Tyrion yeah. should have been. We're showing up this many men. We need this many barrels of grain. Da 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 da. Like yeah. this is all stuff that good leaders should be communicating. It's not enough to be a good fighter. It's not enough to have royal blood. You actually have to lead. You know? Yeah, I, I respect the difficulty the showrunners faced with this this situation because it would make no sense for Sansa to just be like, okay, Danny's <laughs> yeah. here. You know, let's you know let's let's do this. Um, but they didn't. So far, they haven't seemed to dwell on it. John convinced Sansa. She was like, yeah, you know, yeah, at least she's prettier. You know, like that was her little jokey way of saying, okay. You're maybe you're right. Maybe this is maybe we do have to do this, but it wouldn't make sense for her to not be protective. She also has a lot of insight that I thought was really uh, useful that John missed. For example, John gets upset that Lord Glover supposedly broke his promise and isn't coming to Winterfell to back them up. And he's upset that he's like, oh, he broke his promise. And Sansa's like, he didn't really break his promise, dude. He promised to follow the king in the north and you gave that title up. We totally like this is what Liana was saying. Like you're there is a fallout from your decision. Even if it's the right decision, it's it comes with some negative. Uh and that downside is just part of the part of the equation. So and she that's just I like that she's the one making this read and understanding like she's like I know how he feels. <laughs> we see Joffrey make no Joffrey's out obviously you know we even get specifically this idea that John's like you don't think I'm like Joffrey do I you know and and John isn't like Joffrey in that he's sadistic um and and is different from Joffrey in that he is I don't know heroic brave etc but the the thing that is that Joffrey just doesn't consider the the impact that his actions have on his people. Among all the other yeah. bad things about Joffrey, that is one problem. And John is doing the same thing, has consistently done the same thing. Even when he's right about things, he just doesn't consider how it's going to play out when he makes his decisions. He doesn't plan. He doesn't address concerns. It's just clearly part of his character. He just you know? does the right thing, quote unquote, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, he often hasn't suffered the consequences for doing the right thing when it wasn't the right way to do the right thing. You know what I mean? Because he just he just gets really lucky. Like he charges the bold position and doesn't die, and he gets raised, dies, and doesn't die. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know that's not a knock on John. We love John because he's this always do right character. But it definitely comes with um, he needs some. It shows why he needs advice, why he needs to listen to other people sometimes. And even the characters we might think of as actual good leaders, they also have advisors. Oh, yeah. And you know, however evil Tyrone might have been, he gave. He gave Tom a good advice. Yeah. You need wisdom. Danny and is, look, when you're young and inexperienced, guess what? Listen to the wisdom of people yeah. around you. And, That's something Danny seems to have learned pretty well. She's pretty good at listening to her advisors, whereas John has kind of acts like he's going to listen and sometimes just goes his own way because of because he gets emotional like again that's the whole bolton situation again i may be making too much out of that one but that's uh a microcosm of his his behavior to be fair he hasn't exactly been surrounded by good advisors either that's also right? true that's uh, also true the watch doesn't have the level of of skilled um people with uh you know skills with administration and, and leadership and all that not not to the level of people daenerys had around her that's a very fair point and um, he did seek out Maester Eamon's advice. That's true. And Eamon said, "Go ahead and do it." And so yeah. John did it. You know, <laughs> so that's true. That's true. And Sam, when he had Sam there, he he listened to Sam. Um, but his other problem is he just doesn't trust people. A lot of people. Uh, he's all, he's a little hard to get close to. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Danny is is people just flock to her. You know, she's just that kind of personality. Uh, she's very likable and very open. Now, but we're speaking more about Sansa. 
I think that another great observation of Sansa, and of course, you know, some people can comment on how she's gotten a bit dismissive, which maybe that's a, a personality flaw, but whatever. She's just doing right. She's she's very smart, and she's uh, being pushed in the wrong direction by people who aren't aware of all these uh, factors, who aren't weighing a lot of these factors properly. And it's tough to be the only one worrying about certain problems and have no one else worrying about them with you. But she just really nails it with Tyrion. Uh, sure, sure, she was a little brusque with him, but she was so right. Like, how can you possibly think Cersei is going to come and help? Like, you're so obviously wrong. And and everyone else, like, no, almost nobody else seems to get it. Like, I think Jamie, Jamie, like, obviously Jamie didn't even get it. He had to, like, confront her and be like, oh, you're stupid. Of course we're not doing that. And Jamie's like, really? Really? You aren't going to go north? I can't believe it. But Sansa's like, hello. Everyone should have figured this out. <laughs> I will say that once again, they all saw something that Sansa didn't. They saw the undead. It was enough. It's Cersei, we even, they saw Cersei's reaction. It was believable to them that she actually was now concerned about this over the things. I guess, but I uh, think that that still just doesn't, under, that still is, a sh- is just doesn't, mistakes how Cersei's personality works. She's like, oh yeah, those undead are going to attack my enemies. That's right. all she cares about. I, I do think that's yeah. why Sansa is able to see it so much more clearly is because yeah. she wasn't witness to all that. I think she's right and Tyrion should be able to figure it out it's right. But I can see why it might take him a minute, mm. you know. I'm guessing that even if Sansa had seen the undead or when she sees him, it's not going to affect her. <laughs> she <laughs> might have still known better, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, this, by the way, is an interesting underscoring of, of Daenerys' criticism of Tyrion from last season, that he's not tough enough on his family, that he's underestimating them or he's playing them with kid gloves. And, you know, if Sansa had been in the, that council help, advising Daenerys on Dragonstone about how to proceed and how to attack King's Landing... I feel like she might have said some of the things that, say, um, Elaria said. You know, no, you just got to do it. You got to just be be a dragon. You know, or and Elena said some of the same things. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Sansa is certainly not anywhere near as cruel or selfish as Cersei. Not even remotely close. She is a much more good person. But she's got some of that. Are you kidding me? You know, this is how it is attitude now, which I think is which is correct. Given how everybody else is behaving, it needs to be there. Maybe it's good to have this pull and push of idealism and utilitarianism. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that makes sense. And that's a good, maybe that's a good, like, counter theme of Ice and Fire. <laughs> yeah. We have a, a kind of a brief scene. This, was, this happens a little later, but I think I, wanna, I wanted to place it here because of how it flows with the rest of the episode talking the, the brief conversation with Varys and Tyrion and Davos where that conversation really made miss Olena because the whole Varys talking about how nothing lasts and how they respect is just like a thing for young people to keep old people at bay. I, I really would have liked to hear her thoughts on that whole conversation. I feel like she would have had something clever to say, but more importantly, the proposal, which is obviously a huge part of the episode, all this Danny John stuff and the way this plays out with Bran and Sam at the end is pretty much the main thrust of the episode uh, as far as what we weren't sure how things were going to play out. I think a lot of the reunions and things like that, we had a sense of how it would go. Not that there weren't a lot of surprises. Anyway, we'll get to that. Let's see another super chat. Token Joe says, do you think Danny will give up her crown to save her people? Love the stream. Keep kicking ass. I do. Actually, I do. I think it's uh, somewhat foreshadowed. I think a great point, Sean, you made years ago was that John wanted sought responsibility and got power and danny sought power and got responsibility and she's adapted to that she's grown into it she's matured to into it and that may be a place where she finds herself what do you think 
I'm I'm torn. I I really don't know. I I think she should. It makes sense that she should, but it's. I think she probably will, but I think it's going to be similar to um, to Liana and Sansa and everyone accepting Danny. Right? She won't just instantly be like, "What? I'm not really the queen. What? You're my cousin. Who said this kid from the? <laughs> okay, I guess you're right. I give up all my da da da. You know, it won't be just this instant acceptance. There'll nephew, be... Sean. What's nephew. that? Nephew. Oh, nephew, yes. <laughs> nephew. <laughs> the voice uh, of correction. The soft voice of corrections. I'm a trying struggle. to be extra gentle so I don't jolt anyone suddenly and scare <laughs> them. Or you guys. <laughs> but what I'm maybe a little more suspicious of is whether the choice will come to her slash be forced on her. Like, it might not matter if they just get married or if John if one of them gets killed or if John whatever I can imagine all these scenarios where she might still just be queen anyway mm, okay yeah I can see that super chat from LMC great question here or not quite rather not question but comment Sansa and Tyrion's first topic of convo should have been did you kill Joffrey <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny I think they both are pretty clear on that they had nothing to do with it like T- Tyrion knows Sansa couldn't have pulled that off although she was involved but it obviously wasn't yeah. she her strings were being pulled but that, that would have been a good conversation for them to have to just talk that out. Like, what happened? You know, Tyrion would probably be curious. Like, why? How did you get away? And what? Cause I don't think he knows exactly. Uh, I mean, he know he probably knows that she went off to the Vale. She has, he has to know that. He potentially could or should have found out from Jamie. He met with Jamie after that. That's true. Right? To set up the, the meeting in the dragon pit and everything. I can and see why they wouldn't have talked about that because it's not really relevant to their conversation, but they might have. And there's other ways he could have found out, too. I mean, it's not like it's a secret anymore. Yeah, I, I, I suppose, yeah. But he doesn't necessarily know it all. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, they haven't been together. Uh, let's talk about John and Arya. Um, that was really, really fun scene. We knew it would be a bit of a tearjerker seeing their reunion. Um, but it was a little surprising, not in a bad way, but a little bit of how it went down was a little surprising. Um, it also thought I had some interesting foreshadowing in it. First of all, Arya tells John how smart Sansa is, which is which is cool. Um, it it really puts a to rest fully the idea that there could be any remaining animosity between Sansa and Arya. And I and I like that as as awkward as that plot was last season. I like the place that it has us in now, because Arya, uh, Arya's fears were were uh, assuaged. She was worried or concerned that Sansa was not for the family. She was still like some a Lannister, you know, part Lannister or just not fully bought into the Starks and wasn't uh, wasn't prioritizing things properly and was maybe being a bit presumptuous with, you know, taking their parents' bedroom and all that stuff. But Arya got to see very clearly that Sansa is smart and a good leader and that she handled that Littlefinger situation well once all the facts were laid out. And they realized that Littlefinger was playing them. So uh, that actually had the effect of kind of bringing them closer together, I think, in a way. And it's, they maybe are as close as they've ever been. Like, they weren't close as, as kids. So a lot of times going through conflict, you come out stronger. Yeah. And right. in, in this case, they both proved each other. You know, they both proved themselves to the other. Like, uh, Sansa realizes how uh, has respect for Arya's abilities. And Arya did not have respect for Sansa's abilities at first, but does now. And has respect for her loyalty. So that's good. To be fair, some of that might come from Sansa letting Arya do what she wants, you know? That's true. They, they both have, yeah, learned to respect each other and, and understand each other more. I think that's uh, pretty valuable. Um, so John may not be king in the North anymore, but as we talked about uh, last uh, in our one of our pre- preview episodes, he is still the king of the brooders, and that is uh, well-continued here. <laughs> this is another callback, channeling Ned a bit from Season 1, Episode 1, when Ned is uh, in front of the Weirwood cleaning ice. 
um, right before he finds out about John Aaron. Uh, their, their postures are different. John's facing the tree. Ned's sitting, uh, facing the pool. And, uh, you know, Catelyn comes in to give him bad news. And, and Arya showing up is certainly not bad news. But it definitely has a little bit of that feel of that same scene. And John does channel Ned a lot in general. And here he channels him a bit more than I would have liked. Not in a bad way. I think it's realistic. But it's almost a little... Uh, he almost talks down to her a little bit. It, it, to be fair, he has no idea what she went through. And he couldn't possibly fathom it. But on the other hand, he says, he, he calls, how, says how Bran is almost a man or is a man. And Bran says almost, but he still kind of, he, he still kind of treats Arya like a little sister, which I think he's going to learn pretty quickly <laughs> that she's a badass, but he does not really know at all how, what, what her capabilities are. He's seen Sansa's capabilities, but he doesn't really know about Arya yet. And that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it was there was some reading between the lines there. Uh, you know, she was almost talking down to him too. She doesn't really know what he's been through either. That's a good point. You know, I, I think that will be a conflict that continues this idea of loyalty to the family versus saving the realm. Yeah, and know? he did, and she did say that to him. Just remember and when he's like, I'm, you know, blah 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 about family, and she says, just remember that you're, you know, remember who you are or whatever. I can't and remember it the is exact wording, but. He, she says something like something or other, our family. And he's like, my family too. And she says, don't forget that. And it's, there's kind of this implication that at some point you might have to choose to save my life or honor the, the, honor the, the queen, the dragons yeah. or whatever. Right. And so it, it does make sense that he would want to honor his family. He's known Arya his whole life. He cares about her, their blood on and on and all these reasons, but also, there's a freaking magical army of undead coming to kill everyone. You know, you might have to, you know, sacrifice his sister's life so that the Queen of Dragons can save the realm. That's like a conflict that might happen. And it's also a conflict that's been around before. Specifically, I, I really appreciated that there was like this moment early on in the series when something kind of clicked in my mind, this meaning, this this symbolism, whatever. The house words of Tolly were... Family duty honor. Family duty honor, right? And it's not just that it's family duty honor. That seems like, oh, yeah, these like righteous concepts. But it's specifically family first, mm -hmm. then duty, honor last. And Ned was valuing honor above. Oh, good point. Family and on and duty and duty above family also like he felt he had this duty to the king to the realm to go be hand so he left his family hmm. does that make sense like yeah he had the order like assuming it is correct to say family duty honor you know <laughs> assuming that's correct and it might be correct in some scenarios not all but anyway you know ned had a different order than the tollies did and uh but he, he kind of flipped the virus kind of convinced was like look sansa your daughters their lives are more important than your honor okay like sure you're not worried about your life Sure, Ned, you can put your life ahead of your your honor ahead of your life, but are you going to put your daughter's lives ahead of your honor? Mm. And Ned's like, okay, and he goes and confesses to being a traitor and da da yeah. da. So, John might be faced with similar dilemmas, right? Honor and family versus the good of the realm, duty. Does that make sense? Yes. John is, I think, placing duty above honor. He doesn't care about his family name or being king or any of this stuff. He's just trying to save everyone's life. John's putting duty first. Yeah. And Arya is telling him family first. Mm hmm. Okay. That's and a I good thing. I think take. that conflict's going to happen. I that's think a it's going to, you know, and I think that's actually going to touch into possibly when we get into talking more about Bran, which is obviously one of the major parts of this episode. Some people call Bran the most important character of the episode. Well, 
Real quick, I will say that um, Izanami037 points out that for Ned Stark, they think family's first for him. Jon Snow is proof of that. Okay, that's fair. He, he did. He protect promised. He protected Lyanna Stark. To Lyanna, yeah. And that was a, a way of protecting. family. I think what you could say is that himself. He he puts his own honor first, but but if it's his own honor versus his family, then he chooses his family. Yeah. But as a but he characters as an individual, maybe he puts his honor his own honor first. You could maybe say it that way. Also, and I, I do like that point, and I don't necessarily want to disagree with it, but on some level, that was also duty. There was some amount of duty to his okay. sister. Okay, duty to family. Kind of like duty to your family. Yeah. Is, I don't know. Those are related. But, yeah, you're right. And, 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 it's, and it's honorable to be dutiful to your family, blah, blah, blah. Those, things, those concepts have a lot of overlap. And, yeah. it, and it could be on a sliding scale at different moments. They might matter differently, right? Like okay. it, yeah. Ned faced with the Night King. Might have said, "Oh, sorry, family. Sorry, on, sorry, honor. Sorry, <laughs> you know, like we got to go yeah. fight the Night King." None know? of them had to face that. That's a good yeah. point. Um, okay, so let's talk about this then. One of the uh, beginnings of of uh, this scene, which I thought was really interesting. There's a a couple. This is where I think there's maybe a little bit of foreshadowing here. Arya John says, "How did you sneak up on me?" He's legitimately surprised that she snuck up on him in the snow. And that's just a reminder of who she is. It's like, John, you have not learned about how dangerous and amazing she is. And I you're just, going to. I just want to say real quick, Kyburn snuck up on Braun too, man. That was pretty, uh, <laughs> he's a stealthy dude. Yeah, maybe he was using the, uh, some secret passages or something. Braun was a little bit, uh, distracted though. Fair Sean. enough. To be fair, fair enough, yes, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> John was in deep brood. I mean, how could he? <laughs> he was in the weirwood. And, but then Ari responds with, how did you survive a knife through the heart? And he says, I didn't. And, well, they do have some things to learn about. And I wonder how she heard about that. There's plenty of ways she could have heard about it. Maybe talking to Sansa or something like that. But I do wonder exactly who told him. Or who I told also, her, rather. I also imagine Arya might be a little more exposed to rumors, if you will. Like she was out with the people on the streets when the procession was Oh, yeah. Like very good point. Probably in general is spending less time around court. You know what I mean? She's it off lurking somewhere. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. she maybe is more likely to have her finger on the pulse of the the common man who would definitely any rumors about that would just spread like crazy. So <laughs> super chat from infamous 1503 brand seems to be moving events and people in a certain direction. He was waiting for Jamie for a particular reason. Seems that Jamie will play an important role. Any ideas what that could be? Uh, we've been thinking about that a lot and it's difficult because brand's motivations are tricky. It seems like his motivations boil down simply to defeat the night King. But what, elements he thinks are important in winning that fight are that's the part that i think is really hazy and it is kind of hard to see why jamie is important because bran doesn't seem to have the ability to have a lot of animosity like i really maintain confidence that bran's not going to be mad at jamie for what he did but on the other hand i don't have a great answer to why bran is sitting there like he literally sat outside for like two days straight waiting for an old friend you know and he said it's it's he said that kind of sarcastically without the sarcasm in his voice, but it's clearly a sarcastic comment because Jamie is not an old friend. So well, I had a wait, I had a different perspective on that. I thought okay. he was I mean, and like, I guess he was waiting for Jamie too. I, I guess maybe your perspective is wrong. I just thought of Sam as also the old friend. He had a couple reasons to sit out. No, because he stayed there afterwards. He didn't. He was he said, I'm waiting for an old friend. And he didn't leave when Sam like he was still there the next day when Jamie showed up. My instinct also with his, that he was talking about Sam. But then after like the third rewatch, I sort of think, oh, he might have been talking about. Yeah, Jamie. it could be both Sam, easily. Me but. too. I first thought it was Sam. But then after upon reflection, I'm like really confident it was he was talking about Jamie. And that's how this episode ends with him staring right at him, you know, and in the exact same spot he was waiting. 
All right. So the next super chat is Danny Jeter Sr. Senior. Danny Jeter Sr. I got his name wrong wrong last time, too. (laughs) I can't even say the word. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) I get Sansa and Northern Lord's attitude because they haven't seen the White Walkers. So Danny is just an invader to them. But why is Bran and Sam so caught up in it? Well, that also touches on motivations and in in Bran's motivations, we're going to get to in the end of the episode. They're really important, but we don't want to divert from our plan here. As for Sam, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later, too. But for him, it's it's just hurt. He's upset that his family was killed and he wants he wants to lash out at Daenerys and he's emotional. And all this happens when he's just found out about the news. And Kyle Lachico Super Chat says, stay back, he has blue eyes. <laughs> yes, that was <laughs> probably the funniest line of the episode, which had a lot of funny lines. It was a funny episode. It did have its moments. <laughs> we have a live studio audience again. <laughs> so let's talk about the uh, dragon riding scene um, as the last scene before our mid-roll break. And then we'll come back and talk about King's Landing and the rest of the northern plots. So yeah, dragon riding, we predicted this would happen quickly. We knew we were pretty, we thought it would happen episode one or maybe episode two, but we definitely took for granted that he would learn his parentage first. I I was like, didn't even consider the alternative that he would learn his parentage and then ride a dragon, but he rode a dragon and then learned his parentage, which I don't have a big problem with, but I do think it was, I don't like it, but I wouldn't call that a big flaw. What do you think? You think that was, maybe there's some other reason they did it this way. Well, I, that I can think of, it's not something they've pounded into our heads that only Targaryens can ride dragons, or that there's any rule about who can ride dragons. I, I could be wrong. Well, yeah, they haven't really said it much on the show, but the showrunners have said it in the behind the episodes, which is awkward, but they also said in the behind the episode that Dickon was older than Sam, which is wrong. So yeah. maybe they that's just maybe just butchering a detail. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. But it could also be a piece of evidence to help John or whoever, except that he really is. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because uh, that's another thought that I had, is that we've even talked about this in the past, the idea that there are certain people who probably could have, should have known about the nature of Cersei's kids. Yeah. And maybe even who Jon Snow is. It's something that maybe Littlefinger of ours, certain characters had enough insight and it, what's been going on, who's been where, that they might have been able to piece it together. Maybe but, not prove it, but be, have a strong suspicion. Exactly. So so let's just say Littlefinger says, actually, Jon Snow's rightful heir. And so Cersei and Jamie and Ned and everyone just be like, oh, okay, cool. He's the king now. <laughs> like, you gotta, there's gotta be some, you know, possession's nine tenths of the law. And even someone like Ned, who's trying to be honorable, wouldn't just automatically accept something like this. You have before you're going to have this huge yeah, upheaval and yeah. all the traditions and 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 standing laws and and positions of power and everything. People aren't just going to be like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> just mm-hmm. forget everything we've been doing for a whole generation. And we'll do something different now." You know, so it, even John, who maybe trusts or should trust Sam. It's still going to be a tough pill to swallow. It's going to take him a minute to to accept all this. Yeah. And so, and and it, again, he like immediately questioned Sam. He's like, "You're telling me that my father, the most honorable man I've ever known, was lying to me my whole." And there's all kinds of ways to pick that apart. That statement, yeah. that that stance John's taking, but he's it, he. It makes sense that he immediately goes to that, and it makes sense that he wouldn't immediately let go of that. And yeah, he knows he can trust Sam. So why in the world are Danny 
and Sansa and all these Northern Lords, why is everyone else going to just like, oh, okay. You know, like, they still haven't even kind of accepted that John bent the knee to Danny. You know, maybe it'll be a little easier for them to be like, oh, he doesn't have to bend the knee to Danny. Well, He's the actual king, but... Sam has the proof, though. Remember, he has the book that has the proof that John is... It's not just his word. And they have Bran, who is, you know, maybe they can think Bran would lie, but they have pretty strong proof. It's It's evidence i don't know if it's proof and and even maybe even in a court of law you might be able to present it as proof that doesn't mean everyone will accept it as proof to themselves they can question who wrote the book what are the motivations of the sam character on and on you know um but i bring all I that think, up but i think that the the dragon riding if only targaryen can ride a dragon and that's something that's known it is known like if that turns out then <clears throat> that does make it easier for people to accept oh he must be. Okay. Look, he's riding that dragon. I see, he I must think really that be. You raise That'll a, be proof. You raise a good point, but the thing is they were they're gonna want to believe this. Because if they because if it if this proof means that John is the king over Danny, they want to believe that. Because yeah. they want John to be king over Danny. The North yeah. wants that. So it's a matter of people believing what they want to believe. If if it's something they'd want to hear, they'll they're a lot more willing to believe it. So Danny might be someone that's like, uh yeah, I, I yeah. need to see proof of that. Or like I think Jorah you're... and Tyrion might need proof of that because they're on Danny's side. But like Arya and Sansa and Lord Glover and the other Northern Lords would be, would be pretty willing to accept it. Yeah, I, I agree. Now here the thing is, there's one other person who won't want to accept it. John himself. John himself, yeah, exactly. He yeah. himself, want, he doesn't want to be king. Yeah. He doesn't want to have to deal with all that he, uh, on and on for a million reasons, you know. So, so there's a lot more that, um, there's a big part of this that we're going to get to later. So let's just dial it back to the dragon riding for now <laughs> and just say that this is also a callback. Danny has her riding scene with Drogo in episode one, and it's... I wouldn't say it's similar because dragons and horses, you know, pretty big difference. Danny had certainly ridden a horse before, but it's got that same feel of their, you know, their first ride together. And it ends with, you know, uh, intimacy. They, Drogo and Danny have their first uh, sex right after that riding scene. And of course, John and Danny have slept together before, but it also ends in intimacy. And it has a callback to Igrit living in the caves and all that, which, you wonder when she, when she said that, I cringed a little bit. Like, ooh, John's—that's gonna hurt him to hear that. But he he kind of played it off. He he kind of smiled and was like, "We'll be old in a thousand years," you know. <laughs> so that was cool. I mean, and when I say cringe, I mean, ooh, that's gonna hurt John. Not like, oh, that was an awkward line. Sean, you have some thoughts on this scene as well. Um, as and we have a great image that you asked a shade to pull, which is uh, another great comic moment. Yeah, that's my main thought. I just thought that was so <laughs> <laughs> that that look when kissing. John kind of opens one eye to, to look, and sure enough, Drogon's just staring him down. <laughs> what are your intentions with my mother? <laughs> you know? So we are part of the a fantasy uh, draft that's being run by The Verge, and it's involves the the uh, our co competitors are other presenters at Con of Thrones, uh, Storm of Spoilers podcast, uh, Watchers on the Wall. And, um, Sam Coleman as a, aka Young Hodor. And, uh, I'm forgetting one of the other teams. Um, anyway, we, <laughs> as part of the draft, we who got did, both. Who did you say? Watchers on the Wall, Con of Thrones. Storm I didn't say, spoilers. I didn't say Con of Thrones team. That's right. There's a okay. Con of Thrones team. That's the yeah. one I forgot. Okay. Okay. And we drafted, um, Drogon and Rhaegal as part of this. And one of the points, you, one of the things you can get points for is if someone watches someone else having sex. <laughs> we did not get points for Drogon and Rhaegal seeing, having, seeing Danny in that scene because it's not entirely clear whether or not they had sex. But 
<laughs> I really wanted those points, but I'm not going to argue. <laughs> this time. This time. <laughs> yes. If there's another scene where they're doing that and the dragons are nearby, I think like between the two, we get a point. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. I will. I, I almost don't want to bring this up because I feel like I'm being kind of nitpicky. This is a fun moment. It's a fantasy show, but it's so incredibly reckless for John to just jump on a dragon and fly <laughs> off like... <laughs> No saddle, yeah. no experience, no practice. Like, Let me just tell you, Sean, <laughs> you shouldn't even talk about it more because I'm going to talk about it for way too long okay. on Wednesday's episode <laughs> because I, I just can't with it. I can't. It is the most infuriating thing in the whole show maybe for me at this point. Like, I look at it. And it's just terrible. Dragons have glue necks. Yeah, I, I did like the idea, like the idea that they have some sciency, like sticky necks. Yeah, yeah. Sticky. <laughs> the Valyrians altered them to have sticky necks. Part of the bond, the Tolarian blood. It's a literal it's bond. Skin. Uh, I don't know, but uh. and it's not just like this practice run. He like dives down. Oh, God, yeah. don't get me started. All right, it just right. they just don't have time for him to learn. I, I understand that it's. I won't defend it, but I do understand that they just don't have time. Imagine if you had like some SO from from another culture, right? You know, you some some person that came over from North Korea. Yeah. And you're like, jump on the motorcycle. Let's take a ride. Like, I've never ridden a motorcycle. It's cool. You got this. Like, (laughs) I might hop on back, but I wouldn't ride it myself. Yeah. (laughs) So another funny comment here. I I. Can't recall who said it. I wrote a note in my notes that someone wrote, said the term miserable affair. I think it might have been Euron. And to me, that was a callback to season one, episode one again, where we have the term uh, dull affair applied to a Dothraki wedding that doesn't have at least three deaths. And I think that was intentional because miserable affair slash dull affair. It's a little too specific. Okay, so um, we're at about the halfway point, a little before the halfway point because we started a little bit late. So you assumed that we're... Only going to be two hours. <laughs> I think we're at the I ass- third point. I assume too much. Yeah. So, yeah, we do have a lot more to discuss. As I said at the beginning, we're doing our patron shout outs a little differently. Um, most of them will be in the book reader episodes, but we'll do, uh, let's do our, um, I do want to do our Queen of Love and Beauty shout outs for this episode. So, Aaron, Lady of the Long Desert, names Emma of Starfall, the Queen of Love and Beauty, in sight of Pods and Men. That's Pods, Podcasts, and Podrick. Pun, pain. All kinds of pods around here. And from the depths of Flea Bottom, Lord Ken of House Hammer has declared Queen Kari a fire of the North who recovered Dark Sister from beyond the wall. Hell yeah. Hm. All right. Yeah, we have lots of Patreon positions open on the Council of the Beard and other slots all over our Patreon. We are going to be raising the price of our Patreon special episodes at the end of the season. So if you want to join up and get our Patreon special episodes for a dollar, uh, all three of them for just a dollar a month. Now's the time because they'll go up to $5 a month in about six weeks. So you got plenty of time to grab those now. But it seems we, we have an industry now just about. There are so many A Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones podcasts, and it seems like the standard price is $5 a month for bonus episodes. So we're going we're gonna to join that. Uh, we're going to get in line with the rest of our quote-unquote industry. But we're going to give everybody six weeks to uh, go through the old way and have the cheaper price. So that is our mid-roll shout-out. Let's get back to the episode. Because there's just so much to talk about, as Sean correctly pointed out. I would like to point out at this moment that we are just about to uh, to crack 800 live viewers. Well, yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. That's great. 800 is really a high number, and we're super enthused that so many of you came to 
play with us today because that's what this is. We're playing. This is fun. Please. Last season, I told people if we got a thousand live viewers, I would dance, and we did, and I did. I, I didn't expect that we would do it right off the bat in the first episode. <laughs> I don't know if we can turn this, if it has to happen, I don't know. But. We could just scoot the chairs out of the way. It's much easier to do now than before. <laughs> so more dancing from Sean if we get to 1,000 during the season. We'll have to come up with something for 1,500 maybe. I'm also approaching Aziz 1, dances too. Oh, God. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand likes. Yeah, a thousand likes would be great, and which is also a good reminder: like yes. the video if you're watching. If you if you want to, if you like these two gentlemen there or me, mm-hmm. like she it. She thinks I'm a gentleman. <laughs> Did we get promoted? <laughs> <laughs> I'm approaching a thousand followers on Twitter too. By the way, I'll definitely uh, do some kind of dance. What's your Twitter? Dancing Sean at Dancing Sean. Follow mm-hmm. me. Follow Sean. Get it done. Okay, so let's talk about some King's Landing stuff before we go back to the north because there's, um, you know, there's a good amount of stuff happening down there. And we could maybe save what might be the best for last. First of all, something that I think almost everybody missed, I certainly missed, it only came up in the, you know, reviewing of the literature and reviewing, uh, reading articles and things like that. A, a user, a Twitter user at MCL underscore Scott, as well as Rolling Stone, noticed hmm. something very sad about the scene with Braun. First of all, they mentioned some names about people who were killed in that battle. They mentioned tall, handsome William and that ginger Eddie who had his eyelids burned off. Well, that ginger Eddie was Ed Sheeran and tall, handsome William was the black haired guy who said, I really wish I have a, I really hope I have a daughter because that, that actor's name is William Postlethwaite. He's the son of Pete Postlethwaite. I'm probably saying that name wrong, but yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Damn, poor poor Ed Sheeran had to delete his Twitter account because of that episode. People just attacked him, which is not a good look for our fandom. Uh, I don't assume that any of our listeners did that, but the wider Game of Thrones fandom did that, and shame on them, because whatever you think of Ed Sheeran, he doesn't deserve that. Come on. So, but And he definitely doesn't deserve his eyelids to be burned off. So I, it's kind of <laughs> like the showrunners kind of piled on there. <laughs> we can either burn your eyelids off or delete your Twitter account. Uh, <laughs> he got both. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so this scene was, I think this scene was a kind of a mix for some people. First of all, shout out to Josephine Gillen, who has been the sex worker character Marae since season two. And she was in this what? scene also. Just constant, consistent. Like, talk about a survivor. Almost everyone dies on the show, but she just keeps on lasting. <laughs> was <laughs> so she cool. the one that Kyburn said had a pox? Was that? They I, didn't I don't answer think that question. So. <laughs> I don't think so, because she was the redhead. I think that was the blonde. Okay. But I don't, I'll have to look again. But that would be sad. <laughs> they were like, well, we're going to kill her too, actually. Yeah. So yeah, she's been around for a while. That's pretty cool. So this scene was kind of controversial, not controversial, but mixed reviews. Some people really don't like it. Some people do. I, I'm going to reserve judgment on the plot line in general until we see where it goes. But I will say that I think it makes sense for Cersei to do something about Bronn. And it had to be soon. It was, it had to be right away because Bronn was Jamie's man. And Cersei already talked about how she expected Jamie to punish him for, to, for, for arranging that Tyrion meeting. So she already didn't like Bronn and she's full of gold right now. She's if she loses the throne, her debts don't matter. If she wins the throne, her debts don't matter because she gets she has the throne and she can she has infinite time to pay those debts back. So giving Braun a whole lot of money and get telling him to get the hell out of there, it it can't really go that badly because the money is meaningless. He either goes north and does the mission, kills the kills his kills her brothers, which is you know that's the the best option for her, or he just takes the money and runs, which is oh well, she needs to get rid of him anyway because she can't trust him. So. That's not much of a loss, again, because she doesn't need the money. So what do you think about that? I also think it's kind of a win-win for Braun. 
Okay. Can, yeah. Right. He goes north, and if like the walls being overrun, the the, the Starks are all killed. Da da da. He's like, ah, oh, go back tell Cersei. Yeah, I did it. I killed him. You know, like they're losing anyway. You know. <laughs> but if he goes back and he and he can like turn a tide, save the friends of his life. Add an extra crossbow to the arsenal, you know, like yeah. and screw Cersei, you know, like he he gets to play this however he wants, which is kind of what he's done all along. Um, I want to believe that he over time has uh, actually bonded with Tyrion and or Jaime. Um, yeah, I think he has a little bit. But even if he's bonded over time with Tyrion or Jaime, it doesn't mean he can't still betray them for money or power That's or true. security or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I want to root for him. He's been a he's been like a one of the more interesting characters to me throughout the course of the show, he's been, he, he's like not a good man, right? He has these streaks <laughs> of evil. It's hard yeah. for him to be one of my favorite characters, but he's also entertaining. He's not he as evil as Joffrey, yeah. and he is entertaining when he's on screen, you know. He tells jokes. Uh, he's funny, yeah. <laughs> and and he's sort of pragmatic. And the same reason that he would betray Jamie or Tyrion is the same reason that he stood up for Tyrion. It's the same reason that he won the battle against Tyrion because he's not concerned about honor. He gets he's paid. Just, right, he's just, what's what's most pragmatic for myself? How am I going to stay alive? How am I going to get paid? And he's not worried about some honorable method of fighting, right? Like he fought yeah. with honor. The guy just went to the moon door. I'm not worried about honor, right? Mm-hmm. So that same mentality is why he might betray Jamie or Tyrion. Okay, yeah. However, I think he might have grown past that mentality because we saw in the field of fire... We saw him risk his own life when he didn't have to. He he drops his bag of gold, just keeps moving. You know, he could have just r- fled from that f- field. He could have grabbed that gold, but no, he went. He shot at the dragon. You know, so uh, maybe actually, he's- if I could jump in, I think that's actually a, a potentially some really good writing there. That foreshadowing, Bronn not not taking the gold when he you know in the battle may have been foreshadowing for this scene. Right. He may even if he. Right, exactly. Right. He may abandon the gold for this bigger cause. I was going to say he, the Bronn. He doesn't have to abandon the gold. He's got it. She gives it. She gave it to him anyway. She well, paid him in advance. She can, he's going to keep it no matter what. <laughs> I was. I wasn't sure about that, but maybe not. No matter what, he might just have to run for his life. He might not okay. be able to lug around hundreds of pounds of gold with him. You know, if fair he's point. in some scenario where there's zombies chasing him or whatever. The logistics of the so, gold carrying around is, tr- is a fair right. point. Yeah, and it might make him a target. The bandits on the road. He could go on and on with the problems with this. Um, but one or the other. Um, I just wanted to point out that Bronn isn't necessarily motivated by glory either, yeah. right? Mm. And so when he goes to shoot the dragon down with the scorpion, he's not doing it for glory. He's doing it because he's sticking by Jamie's side. And because he doesn't want the dragon to kill him, yeah. And he wants his castle. Yeah, you're right. I mean, He could have just run from the battle and when the dragon wouldn't have been a threat. Or you're right, though. No, you're right, though. He's motivated by pragmatism and he's not a coward. So he's like, well, I can if I can come out ahead in this, it's going to be great for me. And, you know, I think some, one of the reasons people think this is this scene is a little contrived is because they see it as just a vehicle to get Bronn north, which I, I mean, it kind of is. But I think it's it, it's it's set up well enough. Um, it makes sense, as we said, that Cersei has to get rid of him. She doesn't trust him and she can't just murder him because for one thing, that's a bad thing if it backfires. For another thing, it's not good for her regime to have because he's like you said, people are calling him Lord nowadays. If he, she just goes and murders one of her lords like that's not good for her maintaining loyalty from uh, other people and as 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 harsh as she is and as she's you know she she understands that and she's willing to do that because she's willing to do anything but she's not just going to do it just because on a whim she understands that she needs loyalty she also understands he is a legit yeah warrior you know yeah. he, if she does want revenge on jamie or Tyrion, he, this is a good person to do it so and your point with pragmatism is really excellent because uh, I thought the writing of Kyburn's pitch to him was really good because it was a very much a speech rooted in pragmatism. It was like, look, 
I am what I am today because Cersei rewards good service. Do you doubt that? Do you really doubt that she wouldn't, you know, heavily reward the person who kills her traitor brothers? Like, think about that for a second. Do you think that's, you know, you think I'm lying? It's very convincing. (laughs) I I thought it was a really good pitch. Let's see. We got several questions built up here. So let's take care of these. Blue Duck Umber, do you think that the Night's King messages left over programming from the Children of the Forest to intimidate the First Men, singling out Lord Umber to show an extinction of a house? I hadn't considered the extinction of a house part, but um, I wonder if there's like some cousin Umbers out there maybe. But yeah, he was, obviously that kid doesn't have any sons of his own or daughters of his own. He might have a a younger brother even, but um, let's focus on the first part of that question. We definitely see evidence that the Night King uses fear, that the White Walkers use fear as a weapon. Uh, for example, letting uh, Will, the ranger, escape in the opening scene. That was intended to spread. They obviously could have killed that guy if they wanted to. Like, the guy just throws the head at him. And they're just like, okay, go ahead. Go tell everybody how scared you are. They um, let Sam live, too. No, no. Actually, that was a misunderstanding. They did not see Sam. It's a, that's That was a poor uh, execution of that scene. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, they talk They talk about it. They, he did not see him. Yeah, It makes it look like he sees him, but he didn't. He's hiding behind that rock. It looked to me like he looked right at, like as he yes. passed the rock, looked behind him to see yep. him. Yeah, but I, I agree. It looks like it was just bad direction on that scene, or, or confusing direction, or editing, or something like that. Yeah, but they were adamant that no, he never saw him um, in the uh, behind the episode or whatever. I, I thought the same thing. For it was like it was only like a year ago that I learned that. That <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay. was the same thing as you. I was like, no, he saw him. Why did they? I guess they just didn't. They just didn't care. But no, they, yeah, I came up with reasons like yeah. a they maybe multiple other times they let someone go. They like want the information to be spread that they're coming. B they might have thought him of him as being insignificant. Like, what's this guy gonna do? Yeah. I I also pondered maybe they know Sam has some bigger role. Like in the same reason. This is another p- point that we might get to later on, but the Night King's had multiple chances where it seems yeah. like he could have killed John and or Danny, and didn't, and so and maybe he knows somehow some has had some vision of the future that they need to live or need to be there for some other moment. Maybe the same is true of Sam. Who knows? But by um, the way, here, real quick, sure, go ahead. Sean, when you did the bronze scene, you just never told me to put the image up, right? The crossbow. Oh crossbow. yeah, you're right. Okay. Let's talk about that real quick. Put up the crossbow scene real quick because we can talk okay. about that just for a second. Right. This is part of. Um, what I think is going on with Cersei, this is why she can't just, she wants people to know it was her, kind of like Olena once wanted Cersei to know it was her that killed Joffrey, because, and that's how the crossbow accomplishes this. She wants people to know what happens when you betray her. That's, that's the kind of message she, she doesn't want the message of, I will kill any lord working under me, which would be what would happen if she just kills Bronn. But people who betray her suffer extreme consequences. That is a message she has consistently wanted to send. And so I think, and that's the only way she can make people know for sure it was hers, if it's that crossbow. You know, even her own family. Weapon. Yeah, even yeah. her own family, yeah. So it really sends the message that she is not playing. So Once again, just this awkward thing Bronn has to deal with, though. <laughs> like this big <laughs> crossbow of these chests of gold. And like, yeah. remember, he doesn't even want to wear armor because yeah. it holds him back. And <laughs> so to finish answering the question, though, I think, yes, the that is some sort of maybe programming isn't quite the right word, but but it fits. I think it's, it's you know, cultural programming or the, what they were told to hate. Uh, yeah, I think that fits pretty well because that symbol, <laughs> that symbol is interesting. And I do think that it, it's meaningful to them. It's part of their birth, uh, part of their or origin. Even though we're not entirely clear on how, how it fits into their origin, it's clearly associated with their origin. Uh, super chat from National Forest Tourist. That's our good friend Joe. <laughs> 1776. I get that reference. Tyrion <laughs> will pay Bronn double. Yeah, I hope so. I do remember that that callback. Bronn ever, or Tyrion did say if, if anyone ever wants to 
you know, offer to double cross me. I'll pay you double. That was like the first, one of the first things he ever said to him. You know, I wonder though, if it will get to a point where Tyrion can't pay that anymore. Right? I think he probably can. If Tyrion with... doesn't have all the Lannister gold that he used to, no, but Danny he might not be it. cool with this, you know? Like, he may end up with it. Though. No, yeah. I, think, I think Danny would be cool with it. I suppose it. he might get it eventually. I think, I think, yeah, Danny's, I think Danny's fine with, hey, that guy can help us, give him some money. Okay. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but I, I think, I think that could work out. Danny will also have quite a lot of land to give out at some that's point. True. If she actually wins, that's then true. there's a lot of people who will be dead. He wants a castle. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> and Ron, Lord of Harrenhal. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I didn't know you hated Bronn so much. <laughs> Um, well, since he's getting he's, paid double, he should get the twins, right? That's been a theory that's been oh, around for a while, right? That's right, yeah. Two castles. It kind of is two castles. I, I like love that. that. I love that fit for two castles. He gets the twins. <laughs> but if someone's going to break the Harrenhal curse, Bronn can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Dwayne the Jiggly, uh, intimidating name. <laughs> do you expect a scene where Varys reacts to Littlefinger's death? You know, that's another one I hadn't considered. I, I I doubt we'll get a whole scene, but maybe there's a scene where it comes up, you know, where he, he throws out a line or two. Um, what do you think, Sean? I, I don't know. if Maybe that's a little too much to hope for, but I would love to, to get just a couple of lines. I was going to say, I feel like we should. It would be so easy to just give us one line just to address it. I wish we would get more, but I, I understand that we, we're not always going to get it, but we've talked in the past about imagine the types of conversations that Sansa and Arya, Sansa and Jon, Arya and Jon, Bran, and all these characters, all the things that they've gone through. On one hand, it would be such interesting conversations to hear them talk about this. But on the other hand, it would be too much. It's just too much. You can't. It's just, It would be literal hours. It took us hours and hours to watch it happen, right? <laughs> it would take them hours and hours to tell each other about it. They can't show us all that. But I, it does seem like there's a few key characters few key moments that they've had that should be discussed and this is definitely one of them it seems like if it was going to happen it should have happened in this episode but maybe it's not too late we'll see yeah also super chats from john wiley and seth wilkins both uh, one says i just want to thank you for all you guys do and good stuff thanks well thank you back you're welcome seth and john from Padfoot Studios. In behind the scenes blooper, after he rode the dragon, John says, it's almost as if he knew which direction I wanted to go. I think you can infer from that line that they do have a connection. Yeah, that is, uh, that's a good take. Yeah, I wonder, um, this behind the scenes things, they say, do say some interesting things sometimes like that. And it does kind of seem like a meaningful comment. A lot of times their comments don't really have that much to do with the show, but that does, that has the feel of, of real, uh, of connecting. But yeah, but but it's still kind of up in the air. Like, what are they going to do with the whole dragon rider bond and and how that works? I think they're. I, I kind of guess they're going to keep it pretty simple. From Met Fan Man, well, I'm a Braves fan man, but we can still be friends in a Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> it's interesting, by the way. Baseball is really getting into Game of Thrones. There's here in Atlanta, they had Game of Jones at the at uh, last Friday, which was Braves former Braves star Chipper Jones on the Iron Throne. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, Game of Jones. So anyway, Matt Fan's question is, long-time listener, first-time payer. Thank you for your hundreds of hours of entertainment you've given us. I'm really hoping you guys redo all those early podcasts with this new equipment after Winds of Winter. That has definitely occurred to us as well. Certainly some of the really early ones need to be redone, uh, not just because of the quality, but because there's just been more info that's come out. Uh, a lot of our early podcasts came out before Fire and Blood and The World of Ice and Fire and Princess and the Queen and the Rogue Prince. And, of course, the TV show has given us a, some insight into what's going to happen in the books later. You can't go too far with some of those comparisons, but also you can't just say that it has nothing to do with the books at all. So, yeah, I do think we're that's on, that's on tap for sure. 
And once the books are completely done, certain topics are definitely going to get a full redone, uh, a full redo. Uh, but that's that's a little bit in the future, shall we say? Let's let's go back to Kyburn though. Um, not just Kyburn's talk to Braun, but he says a really interesting line here. Braun first thinks that he's uh, being sent to kill Daenerys, which makes sense for him to assume that. But Braun says she has other plans for the Dragon Queen. Kyburn says. Kyburn says. I'm sorry. Yes, Kyburn says she has other plans for the Dragon Queen. And this, at first, is just oh, okay, of course she does. Of course she has other plans for the Dragon Queen. But then I got to thinking, what does that mean specifically? And I got it got me thinking, and I have a fun theory here. I think it might mean that she's going to send a faceless man after Arya, uh, not after Arya, but after Daenerys. And the reason for this, there's a couple of reasons why this idea is supported. For one thing, we know she has the money for it. For another thing, she's got the Iron Bank as an ally. And we also know that Daenerys has Arya as an ally. And the Iron and the Faceless Men might still have a grudge against Arya. And that might, you know, not exactly put, put uh, that might encourage them to go after Daenerys if Arya's on their team. So it fits pretty well in that regard that that's how they would deal with Danny. Because, sure, the scorpion was moderately effective, and if they had a lot more of those scorpions, you could take down some dragons. But it, wouldn't it just be a lot easier to kill the dragon rider? You take out, assassinate her, and not worry about the dragons? Right? Like, it seems like that could be a fit. And that's certainly the kind of thing Cersei would do. She's obviously willing to have people killed. <laughs> that's not, no question there. So there's not a whole lot to suggest this. Uh, one other thing that might suggest it is that we're we're told that some characters that we thought maybe we'd never see again might appear. We have some plot lines that are kind of wrapped up that were maybe left angling, and this might be one of them. So you can see all the elements are there. However, there's zero pointing to this directly. It is just a theory that fits really well. What do you think, Sean? I, I feel similar to you that uh, I didn't think too much into her statement at first, but then when you start to wonder exactly what it is, I didn't come up with that, but I I see how that could fit. Like, I don't think there's anything that specifically keeps it from going that direction. But it could also just be as simple as they have 30 scorpions now, and that's enough that it's a legit threat to the <laughs> dragons. Or even just the idea that she's going to, like, have the Golden Company and maybe politically turn people against Danny, on and on. We've seen her use propaganda. You know, we've seen her True. describe, like, because, I don't know, one of the more interesting moments... Because Danny really did kill all those lords, right? The you mean uh, um, it's just hung him up on the oh the slavers on the yeah. way to mm-hmm. the, right, and so Danny tells that to her small councils like she slaughtered hundreds of lords, you know. So it's you could see how she might be able to paint Danny in a negative light and keep the people against her, especially That's, all the the thing with Tarly, the xenophobia. Like mm-hmm. there are people who are really afraid of all those foreigners, and she just brought the savage Dothraki and the, the eunuch army. Like that's yeah. It's easy to stoke xenophobia on those on those fronts. By the way, that was another little little moment that I meant to talk about when the, in the opening sequence when they're coming through. There was a in general they seem to be kind of showing this distrust that the North have, and John even says it, but um, other characters say it. But there was a moment when the Missunday specifically, the way they were looking at her, I was like, wow, they never like seen shades of racism color. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of like that they included that because it's realistic for uh, you want to show that that's a real uh, thing that happens like you, you people who haven't seen the type of person before they kind of give them the side eye it's uh it's got some real world parallels there you know and mm-hmm. it's like so it's it's and it but they didn't make it all about race right because they also have that same reaction to danny it's 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 not just about race it's about being a foreigner 
Whereas not even a foreigner, an outsider. Yes, an that's outsider true. and a foreigner, and that's uh, you know in these very closed cultures, they have no exposure to these other cultures, and it's just like all of a sudden they're being exposed to not just a few of them, but a lot of them. They're over an overwhelming number of a lot of them all at once, and yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's very different than how we handle things in the real world because these are these are armed people you know and mm-hmm. they're, there's a lot more explicit allowed violence in their culture so it's almost like i'm not gonna sit here and defend xenophobia but it's <laughs> almost like they do have things to be worried about well if nothing else some of these people are gonna have the same thought as sansa what are they eating yeah i remember the last time exactly. the king came and ate up all our food what's gonna happen now yeah. like never even if they're not outsiders or foreigners or no racism this is thousands of people come and eat our food when yeah. winter is coming. It's an issue. So I agree. That's definitely part of it. And that's why the side eyes are for everyone and not you. But they definitely went out of their way to show that it was some of it was directed at the skin color, which is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an interesting way to, to do it. Uh, super chat from Jamie McKenna for Ashea being an audio boss. Q, where was Ghost? Thoughts? I feel like Ghost was just, as always, a victim of budget. But we have confirmation he will be in the season. Uh, he probably feels a little lonely now that he's been set aside for a dragon, <laughs> but uh, eh, you know, wolves are loyal. He'll 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 grow into it. I I still w- I really wish that instead of the fate that Ned Umber had, that they had just given Ghost a saddle and Ned Umber could ride Ghost into battle like a war rider, like in Lord of the Rings. Oh, when you say get Ghost a saddle, I thought you meant. Ghost could ride the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> now that's badass. Yeah, screw John. Ghost should be riding that dragon. <laughs> Imagine a scene of the dragon like swooping low and Ghost <laughs> jumping off the back and coming down on top of the Night King. <laughs> <laughs> when one day, like they're gonna when when Game of Thrones franchises become completely watered down by just like over overexposure and re like <laughs> movies have been made over and it'll be game of thrones 2020 <laughs> or sorry 2120 and that's what it'll be, it'll be wolves leaping off the back of dragons and <laughs> shooting lasers out of their eyes <laughs> his eyes are red it's already set up right Stay, staying in king's landing we have the golden company arriving it seems like they've grown they're double sized i'm pretty sure they said there were ten thousand before and now they're twenty thousand which you know i don't have a problem with that I don't think 10,000 men would move the needle enough for Cersei, but 20,000, that's, that's pretty substantial, especially because these are formidable fighters. These are way better than your average soldier. These are way better than Ginger Eddie and uh, Tall Handsome William, <laughs> as far as fighters go. Um, and I really, you know, and there was a lot of fan service in this episode, but I don't mind fan service if they do it well. And I thought Cersei's complaining about the lack of elephants was a perfect example of fan service done right, because she was, she's a petulant person who gets who's upset when she doesn't get what she wants so having her complain about i was told there would be elephants it's a really that's, good way to channel us that's why so much of the audience can uh, relate to cersei <laughs> petulant <laughs> people not getting what they want <laughs> good point i also actually did appreciate i was like oh eh, you know i was kind of like grumbling you know but when the guy said ah, it's, it's hard to ship them i was like okay that appealed to your logistics yeah. That's fair. That's yeah, legit. I wouldn't want the elephants yeah. to suffer. It does make sense. It'd be hard to get them on ships and transport them. And I'm okay with it. <laughs> so here's a, here's a bit of a tricky scene. Well, not this first part. First of all, Euron talking to Yara on his ship. Not so, not so tricky. Commenting on his quote-unquote loneliness. He's obviously just lying about that or, or just talking. I don't know. I don't know what right word to use is, but he's not being honest. But he does, interestingly, say how easily he can switch sides again. And as you noticed, he's done everything he said he's going to do. And in this case, he does it immediately. Yeah. 
Yeah, he says he's going to go sleep with Cersei and go sleep with Cersei. Yeah. Yep, he he told Cersei he's going to bring her a prize. He, you know, he's he's lived up to every promise he's made. I think maybe the only thing he hasn't done was something that was a lie in the first place. Yeah. Right when he when he said he's going to go back to Iron Islands, he's like, can they swim? Remember he had when they, when they bring the the walker to the dragon pit, he's the first one to get up, walk out, look at that thing, and he says, can they swim? No, he's like, good, I'm going back to my island, and you should too. <laughs> but apparently that was staged. So other yes. than that's the one thing he said he was going to do, he hasn't done. Yeah. So the scene with Cersei is interesting because we're still we have this conundrum of of a lot of possibilities, and they kind of create a couple of different forks for the way the plot could go. Euron, of course, is, is, was it good for you? Which is just hilarious, you know, like that's just <laughs> pretty funny. And then she's talking about how Robert was bad in bed, which is like, yeah, I, yeah, of course he was. <laughs> but the interesting part is the whole issue of her pregnancy. Whether it, is she still pregnant is one question. And what is she going to do about it if she is or isn't? Okay, so let's imagine that a couple of forks here, like I said. What we saw in the trailer was the last second of that scene where she's got this kind of sad look in her eye and we assumed that, or not assumed, but guessed, strongly guessed, confidently guessed, <laughs> that mm. she had lost her pregnancy because she was drinking wine, whereas she had refused wine with Tyrion and that's how he figured out she was pregnant. So the fact that she's drinking again might mean she lost that child, might mean she if we're getting really dark, it might mean she doesn't want that child anymore because it's Jamie's and she's done with Jamie. But it also might mean that she's just suffering internally because again, she is passing, going to be passing off a child as ja uh, someone else's that's actually Jamie's. If she lies, if she goes through with this and tells Euron that this is his kid, right? Because Euron wants a kid from her and she has the opportunity to lie and say that this is his kid when it's actually Jamie's, which is all too familiar and painful for her. So it's really interesting. I think that's uh, something that kind of got lost in the shuffle there as a possibility. But it's also confusing. So let me hear what your take on that, Sean. I, I agree. There's all these if-thens about it. it. Is she drinking wine because she's already left, lost the baby? Or is she drinking wine because she's decided she's going to abort the baby? Or is she just maybe just a little bit of wine because she just had sex? It could yeah. be something really mundane like that. I wouldn't read anything into it except that they told us that we should read something into it yeah, last season exactly. when she didn't accept the wine from Tyrion and then Tyrion realizes that she's pregnant. You know, I, I believe they're using that as a clue for us. And and so I'm trying to figure out how to read that clue and it's, it could be a lot of ways. And the fact is, any of them are tough for Cersei. Yeah. Does that make sense? Whatever it is, it's, it's a tough scenario for her. Like, for example, it, she, the fact that she's like... Sending Bronn off to kill Jamie means that maybe she doesn't care as much about him or hiding his son from him, da da da. But not caring as much doesn't mean not caring, right? Just because she's decided that she needs politically to kill Jamie doesn't mean that she doesn't love him. Does that make sense? I, I, I see a, a million, and it's part of why she's such a great actor that so many different emotions can be swirling around in her, and she just like drips them out with the subtlest moves of her lips or her brow yeah. you know she's really good at it she has this, she's amazing at looking stern and ha and showing how her mask crumbles just a little bit yeah she's so good at that i by the way going through rewatch re a couple moments that i that stood out in my mind is just incredible acting bits from her watch them even more closely and realize one thing she does one of her techniques is closing her lips she sometimes will have her lips slightly separated 
and slowly close them. Mm, that's and cool. It, it the creates a, a shift in in the emotion that her face is putting across. Yeah, she and Jamie with their facial reactions are just mm. like incredible. Just incredible. And Jamie had a great one in this episode too when he's when he sees Brand staring at him. He's like, it's another classic Jamie. Huh? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a slow. Yeah, I love those. Uh, Matthew Ho, our super chat says, "How do you think Danny is going to deal with Jamie?" Well. Yeah, I think she's going to be going to accept him. I think there's going to be some talk, some stern talking to, but some she's got to accept him. I don't think she's going to push anyone away. I think there's going to be too many people arguing for him, like Brienne and and Tyrion. I I think fundamentally there are going to be characters who have good reason to be upset with him. And again, this is going to start to get into brand stuff, which I still want to hold off on. Okay. Um, but there are also going to be a lot of characters who will want to defend him, and. We talked about in our preview episode that there is, you might expect there to be a trial by combat. Yes. Except the Tom and Bandit. So we can't. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody is uh, going to, yeah. We, everybody follows Tommen's decrees, as we know. Yeah. But it seems like, on one hand, everyone's just kind of getting on board with the big picture mission. And so it might be a little easier to accept them, especially if characters that people will look to for leadership or guidance will be okay with it. Like, I can see. Tyrion being okay with it, I can see. Tyrion uh, can point out how well he outgeneraled him. He's like, right. look, this guy just kicked my ass with strategy. We could really use him. Yeah, John might be okay with it. The thing is, some of the people being okay with it might be all the more reason to be suspicious. Like, Danny's already has questioned Tyrion on how well he's doing strategically and against Sansa, his own family. Sansa will be very suspicious, I think, because Sansa's already, like, really worried about Cersei in general and is worried what she'll do. And, like, uh, I don't know that she'll trust Jamie. Some groundwork has been laid. They've already been warned that the Lannister army is coming. Yeah. So maybe psychologically some people prepare to deal with this or this type of Well, he's going to presumably tell them that they're not coming. Sansa will be like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but Tyrion will be like, some people might think he's lying. I think that, uh, that it'll be initially... Struggle and turmoil, but people will reluctantly accept it. And then we'll get to this moment, an episode or two from now, where everyone like just doesn't care anymore about whether or not he's a Lannister or whether he's a Kingslayer. None of that. We just need bodies on the field to fight. So, right on. Live bodies on the field <laughs> to fight. Question from Token Joe. I could be wrong, but haven't the Unsullied defeated the Golden Company before? Or was it another sellsword army? Actually, it was the other way around. This is book canon. I don't think it applies to the show. Um, so it probably doesn't matter. But. The Golden Company was stiffed by Kohor on a payment, and they sacked Kohor and unsu- the Unsullied are, uh, that Kohor has long in- employed Unsullied to defend it. So that implies the Golden Company defeated the Unsullied garrison. Uh, so I don't think that's come up in the show, though. Uh, really quickly, we're going to talk about the Asha rescue. It was one of the weaker points of the episode, probably. It was just so easy. Um, it didn't really, it wasn't really a big payoff, but I understand because it's just not that important of a plot in the first place. So on the other hand, I don't mind them not spending a lot of time on it. You know what I mean? Um, and it had something really fun, which is that it had several cameos all at once. Mac and Dennis from It's Always Sunny and Martin Starr from, well, lots of things, including Party Down and, uh, what's probably the most famous thing he's been in? Probably he's Silicon in Valley. Silicon Valley, yeah, that's a really big one. Um, so he's, uh, he's really funny. So that was And cool. of course, freaks and geeks. Oh yeah. Freaks and geeks. Freaks and yeah. geeks. Classic. Um, and so we, we see here that Yara's intent on taking back the Iron Islands, which she believes she can do because Euron is busy on the other side of the continent. It would have helped if he had stolen Euron's flagship there, you know, <laughs> but I can see why they couldn't. <laughs> that might have given away. It's, it's plausible yeah. why she couldn't for several reasons, but it would just, I'm just saying it would have been nice. <laughs> I also felt good 
that I nailed it on the preview. You by did. By the way, that that you was going to be Theon's ship. Very good. You're right. You did. And Theon wants to go north, which is maybe a little bit of a surprise. Not a, I mean, the surprise is that he's able to do it so soon, but that's because they wrapped this plot line up. And he's not in the trailer <laughs> anywhere in the north. So we didn't have that advanced knowledge of him being there. I do wonder if there might be more to read into the statement that she made. They'll need a place to retreat, right? Yeah, if things go sour. And, uh, and I wonder if that might even be... I, I can imagine this being a direction things go. Ships would be a really good way to escape. Load all the, all the commoners onto ships. Send them to Iron Island. Send all the warriors to King's Landing for a last stand. Whoa. That's really all hands on deck. <laughs> that's, that's, that's something. I like it. We'll have to see. All right, so let's talk about down in the forges. Back, back to Winterfell. Uh, Arya has her pretty brief reunion with the Hound. I don't know that they had a whole lot to say. Maybe they could have said a little more than that, but, you know, I don't, I'm not sure they had a whole lot to say to each other. But I can, I can understand why someone would have wanted it to be more, like a little more meaning to that scene. Um, <laughs> and uh, we have Arya getting to talk to Gendry very straightforwardly, which is nice, right? <laughs> that's, uh, that's um, you know, uh, maybe foreshadowing. You know, if you, if you hope for happy endings, that's a couple that could be. Mm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know if we hope for happy endings, so I don't know if it's... Well, well go ahead, say what you're going to say. There's some earlier foreshadowing. Yeah. There was a scene as they were approaching the Red Wedding when uh, the Hound said something to kind of dig at Arya, something about Ned being killed. She stared him down. She said, one day, I'm going to run a sword through your eye socket and out the back of your head. Oh, I was talking about Gendry. Not oh, Gendry. Sorry, I got yeah. distracted. But no, sorry, that is sorry. a good point. You're right. But you should continue with that, with that, with that point. Yeah, because I, I, I worry that Sandor is not going to make it, that she is going to do that when he's, he's going to be a zombie. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. But there's another piece of interesting foreshadowing here. It's not just, first, we're going to talk about Arya's staff in a second, but before that, I think this is sneakier, we have Sandor's axe, which, for one thing, a dragonglass axe clearly means that obsidian in this world is a lot stronger than the real world, which is, I'm not complaining at all. It just wasn't necessarily clear before. It was, well, to be fair, it was sort of clear given Jorah, because Jorah was just repeatedly stabbing zombies and whites and, da and, and the polar bear with his, with his dragonglass daggers. And they never broke. He killed just tons and tons of whites. So they're clearly stronger. Uh, so, uh, but an axe, still it's pretty surprising to see a whole axe out of it. But he makes this interesting comment. He says, I'm getting better at this. Which to me says he's going to keep getting better. And that's going to result in, I don't know, what? Our first guess was maybe Valyrian steel, but why? Why do they need more Valyrian steel? Obsidian is really effective already, so I'm not sure. What do you think? Maybe my other idea was uh, scorpion, uh, dragonglass scorpion bolts to uh, shoot down Viserion, but yeah. I, I don't know. What do, what do you think? One of my thoughts was that even though they don't need it per se, based on what they've shown us so far, it'll still be like this cool thing. You know what I mean? We could just have this magnificent seven warriors all equipped with with Valerian steel blades, and that'll be exciting. You know okay. what I mean? That'll be, be yeah. good storytelling, good imagery, whatever, even if it's not really kind of necessary. And another thing is, and there's a lot of kind of like nitpicking here, they might not just be consistent with how they present the dragon glass or how it works or whatever, but the thing about obsidian is that it's, it's I want to say fragile. I don't know if that's quite the right word. Compared to steel, at least, it's sharp. I mean, it's it's a rock, you know, but if you had a, a, a steel sword 
and an obsidian sword and they clashed against each other, the obsidian would shatter. But if you stab the obsidian into flesh, it'll just stab through it. Does that make sense? It's not... I think well, again, that's real world obsidian, though. We can't make that assumption about right. this. Well, that's what I'm th- wondering. I didn't pay enough attention to what Jor was doing, but I don't think he was like parrying blows. Well, no, they don't. Most right? of them don't even have weapons. Right. He's just stabbing through into flesh, and so I could see how that might last. But if they might need to go trade blows with White Walkers who have swords, then obsidian might not work. Yeah. Does that I make agree. sense? Yes. And so then Valerian steel might be necessary. So I can see some like convoluted explanations or justifications for how it works or has worked or will work. But I think it might just come down to, it's freaking cool, man. (laughs) (laughs) They've just given this lore to the Valerian steel. They've talked about it. Key characters have it. If Gendry can make more, it'll be a cool thing to do. We'll have to see, yeah. But one thing, the bottom line being, I think that line is meaningful as as some sort of foreshadowing or predictive element. So we'll have to see. Keep an eye on that one. Also, another thing that might be necessary that hasn't existed in a long time to make Valerian steel is Dragonfire. Happen to have Dragonfire right now, yeah. so all the pieces are coming together. That's true. Now the the, the, the recipe, quote unquote, for Dragon or for Valerian Steel is a little more complicated in the books. But again, don't get ahead of yourself, folks. That's not necessarily how it works in the show. Sam could read a, read something in a book. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say I, I, I meant to mention that and forgot. But yes, yeah, Sam's mm-hmm. books could absolutely give the the last bit of information that Gendry may not have, because uh, Gendry did work in a forge with a guy who knew how to reforge Valerian Steel, so he's got that connection already. Um, okay, so next point here is Arya's detachable staff thing. That's cool. We got Shea has an image of of her plans, and we were fooled by this in the trailer. I thought that she had a spear and that it broke because later she's fighting with just the end of it. But clearly, this is by design. In fact, we see the design right here. So I also hoped it was a two bladed staff, like blades on either end, so we could get like a Simeon Star Eyes thing. But no, it's clearly from the image there, just one uh, blade. Um, so that's cool. I don't know. I don't have a lot to say on it, but Arya just, it's, it's, oh, she's a skilled fighter and she has a weapon in mind that she thinks is going to be perfect for her. My, my main thought is that this shouldn't be a special weapon for Arya. All the Unsullied should get one. This should just be the way they make them, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, maybe. Well, they, the Unsullied clearly have, the Unsullied probably have longer spears. I know? will say is, I, I don't think this is the case, but isn't it possible? I mean, she says, this is my wish. And her wish could be for all of the troops to yeah. be outfitted Ooh. like this. At least key troops. Maybe. Key troops. But, you know, she, if you look at what she says, she does say, you know, this is my wish, which made uh. made you think it's for her specifically, and it is, but there's an out. I could see us seeing that in the next episode, because the Unsullied, we in the trailer, we see the Unsullied equipped with Dragon Glass, but that hasn't happened yet. So maybe the episode two is when they, you know, bring that up and, and, and outfit them that way and have that discussion or something. Maybe even could be part of Gendry getting better. Okay, yeah. Uh, let's talk about um, Last Hearth. This was a spooky scene, but also a callback to the very, very first scene of the entire series, where you have Wildlings and Knights Watch. You have dead bodies arranged in that same distinct pattern, the spirally sort of pattern. You have the shrieking of the of the whites. You have someone turning around with a uh, turning around to find a child white alive right behind them. And there's also some couple other things that are similar and we were faked out by the trailer on this one as well we thought sandor was part of this by the way they edited the trailer we thought sandor was there but he's not uh, we also thought it was probably one of the castles on the wall but it was not not a big difference from it being a castle on the wall to last hearth they're not that far from each other in general what do you think of this scene pretty uh, pretty creepy and um pretty fun had a little comic uh, relief with uh, maybe some people's favorite line of the sh- of the episode his eyes are blue <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> My eyes are always blue. Uh, it, it's also a good way to bring those characters back into the fold and to maybe connect some different movements that need to happen, right? Just the the recognition that the, the Night King's coming. Like, Bran got, got the vision, you know, but we know that these people, the characters on the wall don't need to be there, right? There's no Wildlings North, if they were even needing to be worried about that. There's no White Walkers North, <laughs> you know, there's no need to have troops on the wall anymore, so pull everyone in. Uh, it's good to know, to, to be clear, that Tormund and Barak are alive, etc. Right on. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on to possibly the most important stuff of the episode. Maybe we save the best for last year. Sam and Danny and Bran and John's reveal of his parentage. Okay, so, so it starts. It's kicked off by Sam and Danny and Jorah <coughs> having their scene in the library, which is a couple people have pointed. I think it's pretty widely uh, agreed upon that Sam's acting was the scenes, the show stealer. If anyone stole the show with their acting, it was Sam or John Bradley <laughs> this episode. And I thought the writing was really solid for this episode too, or for the scene at least. Um, sometimes I, th- I think the dialogue overall this episode wasn't great, but they accomplished a lot of good plot points, um, which is a, com- a common complaint about the show is they moved the plot line in certain ways without the dialogue being up to par. But, in this, I don't, I don't really have any trouble with the dialogue in this scene. And it really does show the reality of abusive parents in kind of a, a harsh way, which is to say that I think a lot of people didn't agree with Sam's reaction to his father's death. They expected him to be almost relieved or to be happy or at least nonplussed. But that's just not realistic. Abusive people, kids still love their abusive parents. They st- like, uh, it's very common for a, a, a son or daughter to still, even after years of abuse, decades of abuse, to still hold out hope that they can be uh, worthy in the abusive parents' eyes. And, of course, that very well describes Sam. He was just not good enough for Randall, and Randall made that clear day in and day out. And really, Dickon wasn't that bad either. And plus, there's the matter of Sam's family, which, even if he didn't love his father, he loved his mother and his sister or sisters. I forget how many he has on the show. But they're now without, you know, their protector, their, you know, their father figure, etc. So it's a pretty big deal. So let's let's pause it there and give me your thoughts before we go on to the next step here. Well, one thing that's worth noting is that if someone had just come and told Sam, hey, Danny just killed a farmer and his son, just random people that Sam didn't even know, like, yeah. oh, okay, whatever, you're like, that's still pretty sad. You know, you brought, up, like, you brought up earlier uh, this, the killing of the slavers, like her, she's done some pretty bad things, but those things do not personally affect Sam. That's right. not his family. Like, sure, you can look at it ob- objectively and say, and Ty- like Tyrion did. Tyrion invited the discussion. was like, oh, she's, she's bordering on doing some atrocities here. We gotta, we gotta make sure we mm-hmm. dial that back. Even but, if it's justified, even if they're bad people. Like, yeah. John had a hard time killing Janice Slint. He still, like, had to pull himself together and decide to do that, you yeah. know? And so, in the same way, it might be hard for someone to kill these people. It's gonna be hard even if they deserve to, right? Yes. Uh, it might be hard for someone to accept their died. If it's your own family, like, I, I think it's totally understandable I think for him to... If I could also just say real quick, just to balance this out a little bit, some people forget that's one com- common complaint I've seen is that Danny should have sent Randall Tarley to the wall. She did try to send Randall Tarley to the wall. He refused it. He said, you're not my queen. You can't send me there. Yeah. So she, that was not an option anymore. So she tried to do that. But that gets lost in the shuffle. No one knows that she made that offer. And also, there was almost maybe this expectation that John knew. Like, Sam went to John. He's like, oh, she didn't tell you. Like, 
Danny didn't think she needed to tell. Why John. would she tell? Yeah, yeah, like I executed some rebellious lords. Like, why do I need to yeah. tell you that? Yeah. She didn't know that this relationship was there or anything. So, and that's part of Sam's just emotional trauma here. He's just found he's so he's he's not necessarily being fully reasonable about what Danny could have done differently. She's got he's got a point that she didn't have to kill them, but a he doesn't have all the information, and b yeah why like you said there's just some of these things that won't don't make sense. Like why would she have told John that? And John or. Uh, Sam's point of view might reflect some other people's point of view, too, that us as viewers can see this bigger picture, right? And 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 Danny or us as viewers maybe don't have personal connections, but to, to people, like just the average people, that certain characters seem to be worried about, Varus, John, ostensibly Danny. Yeah. You know, they're going to have emotional reactions to death and violence. You know, there was this plan that Tyrion and others were trying to say, like, it's... John even told Daniel, like, look, if you want, you could just ride in and burn everyone, but then you're more of the same. You're trying to prove you're different, you know? Yeah. And you could see how here and there some individuals, I mean, this is true in the real world too, you know? It doesn't matter what, what treaty, you know, two countries make amongst each other. Somewhere over in Israel, like, that guy killed my uncle, though those people killed my uncle. There's going to be individual people with personal vendettas, and um, it's going to be difficult to win people over through the course of a war, through the course of violence, as an outsider, all these things are going to be issues. And if they can be issues for someone that we like and care about, and it seems honest, trustworthy, educated, whatever, like Sam, if Sam can have this negative reaction to actions of Danny, it makes sense that other people will too, you know? Yeah. I and agree. that'll be an issue. How big it is that, you know, does it mean that Danny is some villain? No. Okay. But, uh, but it doesn't mean that everyone automatically accepts everything Danny wants to do or that Danny maybe needs to be more careful about what she does. You know, we might be seeing a little hint of that here. Yeah. Well said. Um, so he runs, he's in his, you know, hurt state here. He runs outside and, uh, runs into Bran, almost gets run over by a carriage. That would have been a sad end for <laughs> Sam. Um, run, and then runs into Bran and Bran, this is when we really start to get the sense that Bran is definitely becoming a manipulator. Not necessarily for bad. I assume it's because he's focused on defeating Night King. But it's interesting that he's becoming like, um, well, like almost like the book version of Blood Raven. Um, uh, it, more familiar to show watchers only, he's almost becoming like a Varys, where he to, he gets people to do things uh, in uh, without knowing, without them knowing what his larger endgame is. Now, of course, in Varus's, and in the books, Varus actually has sort of a good intent with all this, uh, at least in his mind. In the show, it's a bit different. But we'll talk about that more on Wednesday. But at least Varus has a sense of humor, though, about it all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Bran is not really so funny. <laughs> he wasn't really funny before he fell <laughs> or went into the tree because nine year olds aren't known for their senses of humor uh, are being really funny in that sense. Brooding runs in stark blood. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. So even uh, Sansa and Arya, like really all of them. So there's a couple of, yeah, it's true. There's a couple of questions here. First, a simpler or maybe harder to answer question, but less relevant to the, to the main episode here. Why was he staring at Tyrion? There's that scene where Tyrion looks over and he sees Bran staring at him. And why? I don't get that. Uh, maybe Tyrion's, I'm, I imagine Tyrion's thinking to himself, I know you know I didn't do all that dagger BS. <laughs> yeah. And I made you a saddle. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder what's up. Like, it certainly put Tyrion off, but Tyrion probably is like, why is he staring at me? So and I don't know either. Do you have any take on that? Not specifically Tyrion, but one, this is a thought that I have is it moments when Bran is staring at, let me back up a little. Bran, I, I try to make this analogy in our in our preview episode too. That 
Bran ostensibly, quote unquote, knows everything, right? But it doesn't mean he can process all the information. Yeah. Right? True. Let's say that right now someone gave you the access to the camera on everyone's computer. Okay, do you suddenly know what everyone's doing? You can only can't see all those images at once. You can't yeah. process you which cameras do you look at? What especially if what if you had access to the camera on everyone's computer all at once? Now and before and in the future. That was a lack of understanding of human right. emotion. He, he's a, he you know, he started this as like a 10-year-old and yeah. he never got to like have relationships or yeah. you do all that stuff. So when and where do you look? He doesn't he it's just too much information to absorb. If someone from a thousand years ago was transported through time and space to the Library of Congress right now and was told, Hey, cure to the plague is in there. Well, they're just gonna like suddenly find the cure to the plague in five minutes, you know? They might be in there for months trying to find a cure to the plague. They yeah. you don't Brand doesn't necessarily understand how to sort through and process all this information he has. Now, one thing that might happen is when he looks at a person he might be able to direct his thoughts towards that person's history, knowledge, mm. past, and so on, right? Interesting. So I, I I wonder, for example, if that moment when he, that kind of creepy moment when he told Sansa, he looked so beautiful in that dress. I wonder if Bran was looking at Sansa just then in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Sansa came into his field of vision and then Bran was flooded with images of what's going on with Sansa mm. and then said it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Not that it he's does, been yeah. like creeping on her all along. Of course, yeah, yeah. Of course, I'm, I'm just speculating on all this, but no, it, it I sense. think it does make some amount of sense. It, it makes Bran yeah. seem a little less creepy. I, I think that's a great idea, especially because I'm really not a fan of the obvious, that like, obviously they directed Isaac Hempstead Wright to act as if he were blind. Like, the way mm -hmm. he is looking off, he is doing that. And mm -hmm. that's a, a choice. It's a choice I don't love because it makes him seem too detached and distant and is just awkward to me. Huh. But when you put it into the terms of what you're saying, which is that he really is just completely... I still don't love it, but I, anyways, I, I like your idea, Sean. Yeah. Cool. And so... He, at that moment, when he's looking at Tyrion, he might be scrolling through. He might be seeing, oh, that wasn't the dagger. He did try to help Sansa. da da da, da. Yeah. He might be assessing Tyrion. Okay, he's someone who's good or trustworthy or whatever. That makes sense. Okay. I mean, it could be something else, but that certainly fits. Yeah. Um, but getting back to the main plot here with John and Sam, it's very interesting that Bran seems to have chosen this very specific moment to, for, to push Sam into doing, uh, into the reveal. Uh, for John, which is really interesting. He's like, this moment when Sam is feeling particularly traumatized and vulnerable, he's like, now you got to tell him. And that's really interesting. And it, it, it gives all these questions, creates all these questions. Why? First of all, why does John need to know who he really is? What is the benefit? How does that help everyone defeat Night King if everyone knows and if John knows that he's half Targaryen? How does that help? And there's a couple of guesses here and then we'll get your takes on these. My first thoughts were, I have no idea. But then we got some ideas from out on Twitter and from other fandoms and some of my other ideas on my own, just thinking about it. The most obvious thing, I think, is that he doesn't want John and Danny to marry. Because this is the most obvious thing that puts a wedge between them. And that's something that's been put on the table by Davos's comments. They're like, let's get them to marry. And of course, everybody can see that they're having a relationship. But that asks, brings up another question. Why does he not want John and Danny to marry? If they're united... Uh, in one regime, that seems to be helpful. But on the other hand, there's a lot of consternation about Daenerys being in charge. Maybe they just would rather, maybe Bran thinks that Jon needs to be in charge. Maybe because, because the North will follow him and they won't follow Danny. And this is, this, this takes us back also to Jon's 
time with Daenerys. It may not be about who's in charge or they need to rally behind a northern leader, but it could be that love is the death of duty. Remember that whole line? John going to the caves with Danny is like, uh uh-oh, you can't go fight the others with everything you've got if you're in love. I mean, that might be what Bran thinks. I'm going to disagree with Bran if that's his concept. Let me give a hat tip to uh, at DM Trombone, uh, Twitter handle Noise Police, because this was the person who turned me on to this concept. And uh, it, it could really fit Brand's uh, motive here. Keeping love out of it. And again, uh, when I, what I said during your comments there is that Brand, this is something Brand doesn't understand very well. He never, he's never really had love in that sense, romantic love. And this also comes back to a very interesting thing, which is the end, uh, beginning of season, episode, season 7, episode 7, which was Bronze kind of jokey, broy conversation with Jamie about how it all comes down to Cox. Now that scene is presented kind of crassly, but I think it's actually got really interesting subtext, which is that, and this is why I disagree with Bran, if this is Bran's take that love is going to screw with John and Danny and their ability to fight the others. I think it's op- the opposite is true. Bron is pointing out to Jamie in that scene with the unsullied gathered outside that why he's like, you won't see me fighting in an army where they don't have, co- you know, if I don't have a cock. And Jamie's like, well, why not? Wouldn't he's like, well, people, like guys spend their money on women, you know, and he's like, well, what about families? It was like, yeah, you can't have a family without a cock either. And that's a good point because a lot of people will fight for their family a lot harder than they'll fight for themselves. And this is, so John is a great example. John doesn't care about his own life half as much as he cares about fighting for the North or the wall or his family. So I have a question for you. Sure. What body part would you fight the hardest for? <laughs> <laughs> the neck. Protect the neck. <laughs> valid, valid. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting. Uh, that's a lot for you to respond to here. I, I maybe should have paused in the middle of some of this, but I think it's interesting. This whole out, uh, this whole concept of what's worth fighting for. Why are we fighting? What are we trying to save? And if it's wrong to take love out of the equation, I mean, we see Cersei seems to have adjusted her take on things when she thinks that she's pregnant, right? Yeah. My my thoughts are, like, I don't want to distract from all that because it's all good. Uh, but there, I, I have another angle that is maybe a little less exciting, maybe even a little bit negative. I'll say that I also have this dominant question in my mind of, like, why does he even need to know A? Yeah. Right? Um, a, a question we've even kind of wondered in the past. What difference does it make? Right? Um, but even more specifically, why now? Why does Bran want him to know right now? Why does Bran think this is the time? The timing is so, so telling, yeah. So one of my thoughts is that Bran, similar to Jojen, Melisandre, maybe the Night King, he just has these visions of things to come. And he doesn't necessarily understand why. He just knows that it's supposed to happen. So he just does it. Does mm. that make sense? You know, so... He doesn't see John and Danny together later, and he thinks we may as well... Get this over with me. Yeah. Whatever, whatever yeah. it is, he, he just have, could have some vision of something in the future. And for that thing to happen, John needs to know this. And so we need to tell him. And mm. the thing is, that's, that's a hard reason because they don't really show us that. That makes it yeah, something we kind of really. have to kind of guess at and make yeah. sense of. And they don't really show us. But to be fair, they don't really show us what Cersei's thinking. And we guess at that it doesn't mean our guesses are wrong or that they aren't trying to show us. So, um, like they have to know that there's teams. This is this horde, this culture of people picking <laughs> apart every line, every shot, you know. So I, yeah. I feel like they're they're careful about how they put. They know what we're talking about. They they have Arya defend Sansa. They have Cersei. They have them the the 
uh, what's his name? The, com- the Golden Company commander explained why the elephants aren't coming. They know what's out in the community, especially a year for them to take yeah. to, uh, account for all that in the script writing. But all that said, and here's another thought is that it might just be for the audience, right? Yeah. They might pretty much everyone watching this podcast. We're in this. Right, <laughs> we're watching every episode two or three times. We, we're taking notes. We're, we're we've read all the books. We, we expect we mo- to be buried watching, in crypts. Right, we're watching multiple. What podcasts. what is that, Sean? You've read all the books? Maybe not all the books, but <laughs> we've done some reading of some books. Uh, I've read them enough for both of us. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you got to remember, and and there's a lot of us, right? I'm going to say there's hundreds of people watching this right now. Thousands of people are going to end up watching this podcast that we're doing. Millions of people watching Game of Thrones. And they don't all, it's as silly as it seems to us, but they don't all get it. They don't all understand that Danny and John are, are aunt and nephew. Does yeah. that make sense? They, they, they know that they're related, but they don't right. necessarily know. Yeah. And so some of these things, maybe it's not connected to some long-term plot or some vision a brand had. It might literally just be for the audience's sake. It's it's just time it to make be. sure the audience knows is really be. what Bran is saying. Does that make sense? That's that's To me, that's like the most basic explanation that... that uh, Keeps me from, especially since all the other guesses are, are so vague and obtuse and uncertain and, and counterable. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I could just kind of chalk it up to the audience needs to know. Okay. It could be that. Yeah. And one way or another, it's, uh, it's creating yet another Game of Thrones here. We have yet more, uh, controversy over who should rule and, uh, claims and all that. Even if John doesn't want to push it, it might not be all about him because, if Sam keeps this attitude, if he if he stays fired up about no, John should be king. He's got a lot of things he can do. We know he how he manipulated things at the, at the wall when he wanted John to be Lord Commander. He told people certain things. He manipulated uh, the different commanders and said things, and it was pretty clever. If he wants to do that again, the first person he should go talk to is Sansa and say, "Hey, Sansa, I know you weren't necessarily too enthused about Daenerys. Well, let me tell you, actually, John <laughs> is the." <laughs> is the true king so and then he can tell Arya, and then it's the the whole of uh, the starks are you know brands obviously on board so for maybe for different reasons but if he has sansa and Arya on board telling john no you need to do this now i'm not sure that they would but you could see why they would right um you could see why why they would back john up and sansa already is a little anti-danny I mean, not anti-danny but she would rather have john in charge that seems clear uh so it's, it's could like Sam could really push the envelope and start conspiring and talking to other lords and, and people who matter. And that could be a problem. So it's weird to see Sam in this role of potentially causing problems, but he was traumatized and uh, it, it, it makes sense to me. But uh, it, it, I'm worried that it will make him that we're going to have to say some negative things about Sam later. <laughs> <laughs> Just had another thought. Maybe they need to not get married. Maybe finding out that they're related will stop them from getting married. And maybe that's what needs to happen. Well, I, I definitely said that, but I don't know why they need to not be married. Why? Right. What's the point of keeping them from being married? But I'm, I'm realizing it might be a reason brands pushing for a quick, quick before they really fall in love and get married. Ah. Before they run off in a love like before Rob. it's too late. Okay. Uh, or whatever else. Yeah. Mm, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Why, why would that be? Maybe because. That was my initial interpretation. That, okay. That's why he thought he had to do it sooner rather than later. We do sort of have a reason we've said it. We not, we're not sure that it's the right one, but but the reason, if I can restate it, it's that he Bran doesn't necessarily understand the value of love in terms of, of fighting for it. Um, and he might think that it's a distraction, like Aemon's, you know, death of duty and all that stuff. So he could just be, it could just be that simple. So 
another thought that I had that I talked a little bit on our preview episode that I want to bring up again. I might bring this up every freaking episode because I, <laughs> I think it matters. I think people understand. A lot of our thoughts guiding how this concludes are Martin's statement, and even if Martin didn't make the statement, his, obviously what he's doing, it's going to be bittersweet. This is not going to end with John and Danny get married, sit on the Iron Throne, have three kids, and live happily ever after. Cersei gets killed in this triumphant moment by Arya, and and marries whatever. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, or yeah. does Arya yeah. wouldn't get married as part of a happy ending, I suppose. But but you see what I'm saying? It's going to be bittersweet. And a lot of my thoughts, and probably most people's thoughts on this, have usually centered around like who's going to live and who's going to die. But it's occurred to me recently, it doesn't have to be about life and death to be bittersweet. For example, and, and uh, this is a thought I had specifically that I'm th- revisiting now with this idea of Bran trying to stop John and Danny from getting married. What if the way this ends is, for example, just throwing this out, but like John and Danny both live, but they just can't be together. Danny sits on the Iron Throne, rules Winterfell. Sansa is queen in the north. John goes back to be Lord Commander of the Wall. What if the Night King isn't defeated? He's just run back beyond the wall and they have to rebuild the wall and man the mm-hmm. Night's Watch and John has to take that on and can't do it with a wife and a kid. He's got to go be Lord Commander when this is all said and done. That he wouldn't start, yeah, Dan. but he could he could just divorce. Like they could just, there's this divorce. That doesn't stop that from happening. I suppose he could, but I can, it might be easier to not let it happen in the first place if love is the death of duty. Well, I agree. John might have a harder that, time going to the wall. Yeah, I agree, but that's just, that doesn't, I don't know. That seems, that seems like it falls short. I, I can see that being true, but it seems like it falls short as a reason for Brand to blow all this up. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. how, I don't know that, like, I can see he has some thought that their relationship could interfere with the ultimate goal. But it wouldn't interfere with the ultimate goal afterwards. Like if they're still married afterwards, who cares? Like that's not gonna. I don't think that matters. You know, that's not gonna. That has nothing to do with defeating the Night King. But I can. I can see why you would say that. I just don't know if it's enough to to be the full reason. There might be multiple reasons, and that well, could be part of it. Again, think. Do you think that like the final scene is gonna be Arya plunging a dagger through the Night King's heart and the show's over? Certainly not. No. I think we're gonna get fallout about. Who's left in charge? Yeah, but that doesn't mean Bran you know? cares about it. We're talking about, yes, it matters. But that well, doesn't mean Bran is worried about it. He might be thinking, all that I care about is making sure we take care of the Night King. Everything after that is gravy. Possibly, but he might care about it. Especially if he, if we, on some level, maybe expect him to live a thousand years. Oh, yeah. roll a blood raven. He I might agree. really care about what He might really happen, care, you know? but I don't see how whether or not John or Danny are married is going to make such yeah. a big difference. And also, how are they going to communicate that to us? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they better get to work on showing us brand It has some the, next episode. There's, there's some merit <laughs> to that theory, but it also has some problems, I guess, I guess yeah. you could say. Um, okay, a couple more super chats and then some final thoughts and then we'll <sighs> call it a day. From Padfoot Studios, do you think there is a faction of White Walkers that stayed behind in the land of Always Winter? Do you think the baby they turned will pay off this season? That's a really tough one because the, the Walkers are portrayed the way they look is so ancient. So it's kind of hard to imagine that this baby would be one of them yet. But, uh, I definitely think they have to explain how some of this works. They have to explain how some of this origin works, how some of the White Walkers, like, they function and how this all, we need explanations. Do they and breastfeed the be. baby? <laughs> Who breastfeeds <laughs> the baby? Is it, <laughs> just, just diaper change? You gotta have uh, those ice nipples. Yeah. <laughs> sure, I showed, I'm sure I showed you, Sean, um, as the seasons have gone on, the different memes and artwork and scenarios that people have drawn up of the White Walkers raising this, this child, yeah. you know, it's one of my favorite <laughs> little things. For it's sure. my favorite, maybe one of my favorite types of humor is, you know, grand villainous 
monstrous characters, Thanos or White Walkers or whatever, doing day to day stuff. You know, the, the, <laughs> the Emperor. Yeah, you has love to that like Darth Vader. Adjust his seat or whatever. Chad Vader, yeah. <laughs> Chad Vader, yeah. <laughs> that's fun. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a good question though. I wonder. It's I, this is one of the things I love about doing live streams is that you guys come up with these situations from earlier seasons that may or may not be relevant that are often are relevant to some of these current plot lines that we couldn't possibly have come up with in our own on 24 hours later, less than 24 hours later. So this is really, um, we didn't always used to do these as live streams. And, uh, you know, I think a few people wish we did it as just more normal and not live stream, but this is, I want to say this is one of the real values of live streaming is the, the input of this very knowledgeable fandom that, that comes to watch our episodes. I have speculated, by the way, as far as the White Walkers go, that they may split their forces up. Right? Yeah, I like that idea. They don't necessarily need to send all the White Walkers and all 100,000 Whites to Winterfell right now. Yeah. Right? They could send three White Walkers and 30,000 Whites to Winterfell and three White Walkers and 30,000 uh, uh, Whites down to King's Landing. And yeah, they, also, they've showed, they've showed the ability to, to understand some strategy, like the whole spreading fear thing was, was clearly a sign of intelligence. The visions that both Danny and Bran had of a dragon flying over King's Landing, we've always assumed was Danny on a dragon. The, in one of the post-episode little shadow. bits, yeah, yeah. Um, D&D said something to the effect of, we don't know if that's in the past or the future. So maybe it's some past dragon, right? Hundreds of years ago flying sure. over King's Landing. But also, maybe... It's a freaking ice dragon. The Night King just yeah. flies to King's Landing. That seems like way more likely. Because yeah. like, who would care about a dragon's shadow passing over King's Landing hundreds of years ago? That the the landscape of King's Landing would have changed over these hundreds of years. Ooh, right. good yeah. point. Yeah, hundreds of years. Significantly. Yeah. So you can only say it's within a certain time period. It's only a 300-year-old city, yeah. It's only a 300-year-old city, and a lot of it was not the same. And Anyways, whether that that's all nitpicky. But I, I, it seems very unlikely to me that, it, it, that that dragon is in the past. Yeah, it would seem to be kind of irrelevant, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to branch off a little bit here because branch off <laughs> um <laughs> because it is uh, you know a lot of this is thinking about how where things are going and how it's going to happen and um and and an another thought that i had a prominent thought you know going through a rewatch of everything that i brought up in our preview episode is a, a lot of times i and other people think about what's the night king's goal what's the night king doing and part of me is okay with he just represents evil and death and darkness and he's just coming to kill everyone and we got to stop him and connected to that maybe the lord of light represents life and light and they're just trying to stop and it seems like visions and fires and other types of magic and the white walkers are all kind of coming about at the same time melisandre's looking for the prince that was promised at the same moment that the white walkers are coming how quickly she just abandoned this war of the five kings when davos showed him that note from the north up oh, for the the war, this, this war of five kings is meaningless. Let's go. So don't <laughs> yeah. execute Davos. Move forward to the north. Forget everything else. Forget turning on a dime. She turned on a penny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, point of all that being is that I'm leading into this other statement that uh, was made by Jojen, by the way. I started paying real close attention to Melisandre, Jojen, and Bran, because they say prophetic things. They have these visions of the future. True. And Jojen told Sam, in that moment when Sam and Gilly bump into Bran and crew, and they're trying to go different directions across the wall, Bran's trying to explain why he can't come south with, with Sam. Jojen says, Jojen tells, Jojen says, Sam, you've seen the, the army of the dead. Sam's like, you know, how'd you know that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he says, the Night's Watch can't stop them. The kings and armies of Westeros can't stop them. 
So, conveniently enough, we have this Queen Danny with <laughs> armies that are not of Westeros coming to stop them. <laughs> but it's worth noting, Cersei is also a queen with the Golden Company that's not of Westeros. And I, 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 this might be a little far-fetched, but I do think it's possible, especially if we think this battle at Winterfell is coming in the third episode. What the hell is happening for the next three episodes? They might lose this battle, retreat south, send the women and children to, to Pike, and have this last stand at King's Landing where Cersei with the Golden Company and a bunch of scorpions leads the standoff hey, against Sean, the White Walkers. I just want to say Liana Mormont would be so disappointed in you right now for sending the <laughs> for women sending and the children. Women and children. <laughs> yeah, maybe the children haven't been trained up yet, but those they've been training. God. Well, I, I, I agree. Really I want children. to see them in the battle scene. The preview, they didn't show us any women and children on the lines prepping for battle. I, I'll be well, disappointed. Presumably they'd be archers, Liana. but yeah, I, I, hope, yeah. I, hope, I hope they were just not in the trailer, but I hope they're there too, yeah. One way or the other, though, I can see that... Um, Oh, well, just the idea that the White Walkers might split their forces. Yeah. That everyone isn't necessarily going to King's Landing. That the, and it would also be this bittersweet moment. That's what I was kind of trying to say. Mm. This sort of bittersweet moment, if everyone had to give credit for, to Cersei for saving the day. <laughs> right? This villain that we're all expecting to die, that everyone wants to kill, that if she actually makes these good, clever, strategic, forethought, Full planning that enables them to beat the White Walkers. Then she should get a wildfire ready to go at King's Landing. Yeah, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let me throw another theory your way that came from. Um, oh gosh, who came from it? Was it a? Uh, I can't remember. It was I was on LML's stream and this idea came up from one of his guests and I can't remember what it was. So I apologize for not uh, properly accrediting the idea. But the idea was that um, Cersei could die and Kyburn could bring her back because Kyburn's kind of screwed without her. Mm, he, he doesn't have yeah. anywhere else to go, and so she becomes kind of the way it's presented is, is it's a way for her to level up, be a little more powerful in the in the face of these other things. And it also touches on a few book possibilities that that are floating out there in terms of myth, like a, a new night queen, which she would be, uh, could be in a sense. So I, it seems it's another kind of somewhat far fetched idea, but really good far fetched idea that you could definitely see happening. If Kyburn sinks a obsidian dagger. And her heart and her yeah. eyes turn blue. Yeah, just did whatever he did to Gregor does to her, but Gregor can't speak as far as we know, so I'm not sure that would work. That king can't but, speak either, but he's doing all yeah. right. So <laughs> that's kind of a, that's one problem with the idea is the undead don't seem to speak, except for John and Beric, so it's not completely off the table. But I, it's a very cool idea. Super chat also from Dornish Dan and from Nadim Atalia or Atala. Hey, Aziz, Sean, and Ashea. First time I'm here live. So cool. I have an idea for History of Westeros listeners' names. Historossi from a proud Westorian. That is a pretty good one. Historos, Historossi. Yeah, we could try to throw that one in sometimes. I like it. We'll, see if it. we'll see if it sticks. So, Sean, final thoughts. Did you have any comments on Cersei as Corpse Queen or any other ideas? Uh, any other things we didn't touch on? I feel like I got all out of my system. <laughs> I, I guarantee you all think of something three minutes after we sign off <laughs> yeah that is true okay so let's do this we were asked this at the beginning by Rebea um, you're, uh, I think it was I think it was Rebea good, the good the bad and the ugly so let's hear your good bad and the ugly uh, your favorite scene your least favorite scene and um, your ugly scene which you can define that how you want <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to think of him in good, bad. I guess it'd be like ugly, I guess, for Braun to betray Tyrion and, mm. and, uh, okay. Jamie. Good was, uh, Sansa kind of realizing the logistics necessary. Whoever the queen is, whatever the Neil, the Neil bent, the bent knee, whoever, whatever, <laughs> we have to feed people. And the ugly, I guess, my, but, but my, I think my favorite scene was 
was Drogon staring John down there. <laughs> 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 I, I thought, but not only was it like kind of humorous, but I want to give him credit for like the the, the emotion conveyed and the dragon, the dragon had a real facial that CGI yeah. or whatever that was. That was really good. Yeah, know? that was that was good. I like it. And I think it was San Rixian who pointed out that they that her being an artist, she's aware of these things. That they did a better job with the dragon's color this year. Rhaegal looks green, whereas before it was kind of like, is that green? You know, you couldn't tell. Like people argued over which dragon buzzed John when he was walking towards Dragonstone, and it was Drogon. But people wanted it to be Rhaegal. I think it was Drogon, though, but it was partly it, because the color wasn't clear. Was it distinct enough for it to be clear? The fact yeah. that people were debating means that, yeah. Yeah, so it should have been more clear. I mean, I don't even know if it was Rhaegal or Drogon. That just, just kind of proves my point. <laughs> so, I um, could make a, uh, a season prediction, by the way. Okay, go for it. Then uh, I'll do my good, bad, and ugly. Another thing I can see happening, by the way, is Danny flying her dragon gets in a fight with the Night King flying his dragon. And in fact, I almost expect this. It's It's... Like the Star Wars pattern, where you have like a, a, a massive army battle happening, mm-hmm. a one-on-one sword fight happening, and an aerial spaceship battle happening. <laughs> we could easily have that. We could have the, these armies of whites and unsullied fighting at the same time that that John or Arya or someone is one-on battling some some White Walker. Okay. At the same time that the dragons are in the air, yeah. fighting it out. Yeah. Right. I think okay. we'll have this three section battle concurring all at once and in in that i can see danny danny's dragon getting hurt like the dragon's like taking each other out Ooh. or maybe john maybe john is flying in battle because it's another thing you kind of have to expect john's gonna be on the ground with a sword fighting not flying yes. around the air Somewhere, but also yeah. you got to kind of expect john's be flying around the air they just show he's got a dragon how's he not going to be on his dragon like <laughs> yeah. so how do we get this both and my thought is that john's dragon john and or danny's dragon gets injured falls to the ground uh even if the dragon is not killed maybe it's fatally wounded but it's going to fall to the ground in the middle of a bunch of whites and it's breathing fire to keep them at bay to protect john and or danny whoever it is right mm-hmm. then the other will swoop down to try to save them to mm-hmm. scoop them up and then the dragon on the ground in order to not be turned into another ice dragon they have to burn it oh okay Interesting. It's all kind of sad and tragic, but uh, but I can see <laughs> a, that sad, tragic thing yeah. happening. Danny having to burn one of her dragons to keep it from being taken over. At least by to the stop Nike. it. Yeah. yeah. It, obviously, all those different details could come out a lot of different ways. And but the, a, the bottom line is preventing another undead dragon. Yeah. Is and it's sense. a way to get John both flying on a dragon, but then back down on the ground with his sword. Yeah. So. I do think John's dragon died. I mean, I think both dragons, all three dragons, probably die. But Jesus, he's yeah. I know. Really harsh. <laughs> huh? <laughs> so, uh, Shay, do you have a good, bad, and ugly? I mean, I think my favorite scene was Sam, um, mm. his reaction, probably. And my least favorite scene was dragon riding. Okay. And for ugly, I don't love Gendry's haircut. <laughs> not, not so good looking. There you go. I'll, have, I'll have another answer You're on Wednesday. You're not smoldering like Ari. I, I read an interview, by the way. They did that because too many people in the audience were confusing him and Podrick. Oh, really? They want to distinguish him from Podrick's hair. Podrick's yeah. hair was a little extra shaggy, too. Right. I guess that's yeah. why. They had Throw him grow it out a little. Haircut, yeah. 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 Okay, so my, uh, I'll say my, um, my bad was the, uh, the rescue scene, which was, you know, just, I already explained why I wasn't so enthused with that, but at least it, I, I also gave it some silver linings. And, um, I'll say the ugly, I'll say the ugly was the dragon riding scene, even though it was fun. I didn't, I don't think it was a bad scene. I don't think it was that good of a scene either because of the, the, the complaints that you guys both, uh, uh, put out pretty well there, said well, which was the, it was just too quick and the, the saddle thing is just like, wah. 
just continues to baffle, but whatever, it's been established. I will say it was not only the saddle, but also I just, the, the riding, a, a, an animal flying around CGI, it's just not there yet. Yeah. It just never really look, it just, it's not going to age well. It doesn't look great now, and I don't think it'll look great in five years. Okay. So I'm extra yeah, judgmental of that, um, and it brings back other memories of, of bad CGI <laughs> um, in addition to the, the idiocy of the saddle. So anyway, just to interject, I have more cool. criticisms of that scene. <laughs> it's the real, real bad. So the, I'll say the good was the, the legitimate surprise of Sam's, of how they executed Sam telling John, uh, like the build up to that, what, what the trigger for that, meaning Sam's being upset about uh, his family being killed. I definitely did not see that coming, even though we talked about, that would have be something that had to be dealt with was that Sam's family was killed by Danny and that's going to have to be dealt with. Did not foresee it being the trigger for John finding out about his parentage. I think it's really interesting. I think it's definitely not what a lot of people expect. A lot of people were surprised by that. Some people were a little put off by it, but I am happy with that because it was a surprise and it's, it's a really overanalyzed part of the thing. We've all been for decades discussing how John's going to find out. <laughs> definitely didn't see this coming. We'll talk about it more on Wednesday as a possibility for how it might go down in the book. And then the fact that during this episode, I realized how much it might end up paralleling John's, or John's, I was going to say John Bradley, but that's John Snow when I say John. So Sam's, uh, the way he manipulated the Lord Commander situation and how that could be a prequel, uh, a preview of how he handles this two different claimants to the throne situation. It just fits so well. And I'm really happy that uh, to be surprised by that and that I didn't see it coming. By the way, one other thing, like an overall thing, we, we mentioned overall and a few times individually, but the parallels between this and season one episode. So many, one, yeah. It was great. It's worth going back and watching that. And I, I think I had literally, I, I have this hot tweet with like 300 likes, by the way, if you do follow me on Twitter, check it out. Because <laughs> I just, I tried to list all of them every, there. I'm going to mute you every time you talk about your Twitter, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think I literally had like a dozen, I don't know, Parallels. That yeah, there's a line between them. Some, you know, some we are love big parallels. Or structural, some are like minor, but there's a bunch in there. Somewhere. So yeah, it's actually true. What we did here at the house was we watched the episode, and then we immediately watched season one, episode one. It was nice because we have a, one of our roommates here has not seen Game of Thrones. It was our way of getting him. He was like picking up the whole house is excited. And there's this one guy who was like, man, I need to get in on this. <laughs> <laughs> so it was fun to rewatch. We had we killed two birds with one stone. There, we got to see find more of those parallels which which is partly what turned me on to realizing some of those musical connections because that's a lot harder to catch i think um and having heard music uh, a certain song play in, in years but um also just uh you know it's just really fun to look back on all those things so yeah game of thrones is uh doing it again we're having a blast and this is just the beginning of the final season so we shall be back soon we'll see some of you all on wednesday more of you on saturday and more of you again next monday for the review of episode two Thanks to Ashea, thanks to Sean, thanks to our, our live single-person audience, Jinx Lear. <laughs> and thanks also to Michael Klarfeld for the video intro, and to Jesse Koval and Joey Townsend for our music. Michael Klarfeld, who has a short film coming out soon, right? Oh, yeah, that's worth mentioning. Yes, Michael Klarfeld has a short film, um, Alone, in, is what is called in English. It's, you know, seven to eight minutes short film, and it'll be posted, I believe, on the 19th. But, yeah, you'll see that link, and it was a very nice little watch. Right on. As I said at the beginning, the majority of patron shoutouts will be on the Book to Show episodes, and we, but a few of them will be in this episode. In particular, the beard guard level. Sean, you want to go ahead and read this? We've got the 
Hand of the Beard, Lady Suzanne Sinistral. Lord Commander, George the Golden. Sir Joshua Oakhart, the White Oak. Special shout out, as always, to Lady Rita of the Coppermane, the Unbound, Dance the Fervor. Oh, who, by the way, yeah, check it out. She sent us like seven <laughs> cases, seven boxes of these uh, Camera Zones Oreos. Oreos. We looked all over town My for them, couldn't hero. find them. I looked at so many different stores yeah. and yeah. I helped so many different people. And Rita sent us this massive box and it's lovely. And it arrived right on time. We were we had them there, and our friend our friend Joe, who was a national forest tourist, made um, he and his family made no, cupcakes. No, do not say that Joe did it. Joe's wife Mandy <laughs> bought the Oreos and found them and made the Oreos. Oh, he didn't even buy cupcakes. the Oreos. Okay, so no, he just Mandy brought them over. Did. He brought them over, <laughs> and he was very clear with me that did not give him credit where it was okay. not due. And I want to make sure Mandy is awesome <laughs> and Mandy's lovely. It's, it was a great idea. She made cupcakes using the Oreos. Because they have different sigils on them, and she used yeah. the Oreos as little cupcake toppers, and they were delicious. And I ate one while we were streaming, so <laughs> there we go. Thank you. All right. You, well, man. I guess I didn't get that message. Okay. Good thing. That Just you did. like a man, give Joe credit <laughs> for making. That. I said he and his family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. So, uh, uh, and where were we at? You were at this uh, one here. Sir Joff, Warden of the AC, wielder of Triad, the multi-faced beard of platinum, red and brown, stay frosty. Sir Tim Corgile, Mad Boy of West of the Western Desert, Queen Helena von Lastein, Lanstein, mm-hmm. parting like it's 1999 since 1980 something. A kingdom for a drink. Hell yeah! <laughs> All right. So thanks again, everybody. We will see you next time. And Valar Reredus.